Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Okay, just start for the microphone moving noises. <laughs> I was writing a comment. Uh, and uh, I was trying to comment to uh, uh, a blog by Fred Jacobs, who is somebody that uh, I'm actually uh, acquainted with. He is the person that invented the um, classic uh, rock format. And so let me see if I can uh, uh, get it up here. Oh, yeah, okay, so the duplicate comment. Okay, fine. So uh, hopefully it's there. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see in a minute. Let me refresh the screen. So it's just, uh, again, it's one of these last-minute things. So Fred, Fred Jacobs just wrote a column uh, today. The need for news and media innovation has never been greater. So you know this is immediately attractive to me. <laughs> I have to comment. But yeah, we're already here. Action Radio, Citizen Legislature, the most fundamental change in media since uh, talk radio, uh, is here. And let me see if, uh, if they post my comment on Fred Jacobs' blog. And uh, we'll wait in comments. Uh, yep, there it is. There it is. And so I said, uh, and yet the most innovative media concept since talk radio is still hidden and suppressed by big tech, the action radio citizen legislature. When we do get our long overdue coverage, the world of media and politics will go through a fundamental change. Think of when silent movies went to talkies. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so that's it. So I got the first, I got the first comment. In. So this article is probably written, written like, like 20 minutes ago. Let's take a look. Uh, February 16, 2023, that's today. So it looks like it probably, he probably just posted it. I mean, it just appeared in my, uh, in my email right before the show. It, you'd be amazed right before the show. So it says 6, oh, he wrote, yeah, 602, it appeared in my email box. So now it's 701. So that was, that was an hour ago. <laughs> and I got the first comment in. So it's always good to get the, it's good to get the first comment because then they, they read it. You know, by the time you're, you know, 45th or lower, no, nobody cares. You know, you got to get that first comment in. And, of course, Fred knows me, right? Fred Jacobs, amazing man. Um, I first started uh, commenting on his blogs when he talked about innovation, I don't know, four years ago. So he knows about us. He's known about us for quite a while. So Fred's one of these really cool people that uh, I'm just hoping he'll write about us one day. You know, that's what I'm at. Fred, <laughs> we're here, Fred. <laughs> you know, come on, uh, come on down. <laughs> you know, so let's, uh, let's see if we can get a little uh, – uh, so, I mean, I, I do – I'm terrible about this. I, I kind of tweak the uh, – um, you know, the noses of people and say, Hey, action radio, what are you, how come you're not writing about us? We're here. We're definitely here. <laughs> and we're, we're not going away. And so that's why it gets really interesting. All right. So we got a couple of hours today, so I should, uh, I should calm down and slow down. I have to do a lot of talking this morning. And so uh, I'm sure Pianchi will join us at some point and maybe some other folks will call in as well, but it's going to be, and then we got CJ at uh, nine o'clock. CJ is going to do uh, the wellness watch. And so we always have to have a wellness show. And so we were at a, at a loss of wellness reporters for a while, but I'm sorry, modern medicine sucks. You know, vaccines kill people, you know, uh, that's just the reality. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to get healthy, the best thing to do is to stay out of the hospitals, stay away from traditional doctors, you know, or, or Western, you know, petroleum, Rockefeller medicine, stay away from Rockefeller medicine and, you know, exercise, keep your attitude and sleep well and, uh, you know, and uh, do all the things to, to keep you healthy. So you don't, you know, have to get the, all the, the medical stuff because, you know, hospitals kill people. They just do, you know, especially the protocols, the remdesivir ventilator death march. I mean, never has it been more dangerous, I think, to go to a hospital when you're sick. I'm just glad I got my heart surgery, you know, before all this COVID stuff started and the, uh, the federal government took over, you know, the protocols 
you know, and protocols, you know, government, when government medicine takes over for doctors, that's when people die because government doesn't care. Government kills people. Uh, they do uh, all the time. Well, I mean, we're coming up on the 30th anniversary of Waco, April 19th, 1993, and this is 2023. So it's a, it's a 30th anniversary. And so it's, you know, and, and uh, that's not in the news. In fact, it's not going to be in the news. It's not going to be in the liberal news at all. They don't care. They don't care how many people died um, because they were, they were killed by government. So it's okay. You know, the, the, they'll be talked about as a, uh, a you know, a queer, you know, a crazy religious minority freak group of people who were, you know, child molesters and, and gun runners. Yeah. Okay, fine. And that's why the local sheriff never arrested them. That's why they were there for years and years and years. And a little, little, a little, you know, crazy to be sure. Yeah, you know, a little bit different than normal, but that's okay. Well, I am. <laughs> Lots of us are different than normal. So that's no excuse to be, uh, you know, assassinated, gas burned, and buried uh, by your government. And yet that's exactly what happened. So that's what we need to talk about. So I had this weird thought right before the show started that, uh, and, and it came out a couple of different ways, but liability. And I started thinking about liability. I'm thinking about the train accident. And I'm going to talk a lot about that train accident uh, over the course of this morning. But the real key to freedom is good liability. Now, I know that sounds kind of crazy, and it's, it's one of these, you know, like dry topics. So it's a legal topic. So this is, we get learned people who talk about legal topics. Speaking of which, Jeff Childers is going to be here next week. And so Jeff Childers is one of those learned attorneys. And so he'll be uh, here. Hopefully I'll be presenting. Well, I will be presenting our, our, uh, our legislative uh, agenda, particularly vaccine product liability and uh, big tech <laughs> product liability. So, so now you see where this comes from, right? So, so the trains, you know, uh, the title of the show today, you know, at least Mussolini made the trains run on time. That's, that's one of those things, you know, that uh, they said, well, he was, a, he was a fascist and he, you know, killed all kinds of people and he was a complete dictator, but the trains ran on time. You know, in other words, just trying to find the one shred of, of stuff that was okay amid outright terror and, you know, treason and tyranny. Uh, and so that's what they did. So that's my joke today, you know, uh, and, but we can't even do that. Not only do our trains not run on time, they run off the tracks. That's a problem. And so I have many articles on the trains, on the spikes, on the railroad ties, on the, uh, that's the wooden stuff, right, that the, the, tra- the tracks last the, a rest on. Um, and just but government corruption. And w- what it really comes down to, is there's no liability for government. So I think, as I sit here this morning, puzzling and pondering in my little brain, now that, that God has dropped this idea into my head, like three, literally three minutes before showtime, this happens a lot. Um, there's a whole branch of, of law that we need to open up uh, called government liability. And so the, the beauty of Action Radio is we're free to do things that uh, not only nobody else would think of that government can't do, that they would never do themselves like vaccine product liability. You know, once the, uh, the genie was in the bottle, you know, they're not going to let it out again. They're not going to let the liability genie out to uh, have, give people a, a recourse when their loved ones are killed, you know, by uh, big pharma. Um, and so we need to do that. We need to release that. We need to make an election issue. We need to, we need to make this so powerful that politicians have no choice. That's kind of where I want to put them, ultimately. It's all of the people for freedom, you know, puts politicians in a place where they can't accept the money. There's no amount of money that they can't accept and get elected um, because we have on our side, you know, truth, justice, you know, mom, apple pie, the American way and uh, laws that create freedom. <laughs> that's, you know, not, and it's not for our personal gain that we're doing this. And that, that's the difference. Not, we, we don't write laws for our personal gain. We write laws for, for our personal freedom. See, there's a difference, big difference. Anyway, so liability, I believe, is the key to freedom. And I think uh, government let me write that down. <laughs> so, so Rush Limbaugh has papers he rushed. I have this notebook that I'll flop onto the table. Flop. 
So today is 116, two days after Valentine's. No, it's 216, 216, 23, government liability. I actually read this stuff, you know, days later. Liability legislation. Anybody likes this topic, let me know. Give me a call, 215-383-3832. So this is, you know, most talk shows talk and spew venom and try and create ratings and things like that. Uh, to me, this is more like a brainstorming session. And uh, if it's just me, that's okay. Uh, I get comments. I get things later on Facebook and stuff like that. Better to have you now. So go to live chat. If you can't call in, go to live chat and just type something out, you know, and congratulations to our, our new listeners in England, especially. Uh, England is our fastest growing international audience. So the, or the, the UK, which could be Ireland, Scotland, England, Wales, all those countries. So all you folks in the uh, somewhat United Kingdom, <laughs> actually, that's what I should start calling it, the somewhat United Kingdom. Uh, congratulations. Next is Canada, then Australia, then New Zealand. Uh, in, in terms of, uh, of listeners, France and Germany kind of backed off a little bit. I'm not quite sure why, but uh, or maybe the other countries picked up. But right now, our, our biggest um, overseas audience is uh, is England, uh, and then Australia, and New Zealand, and our, our biggest uh, outside the country audience is Canada. Now wait a minute, that's not true. No, England is first, then Canada, then Australia, and New Zealand. So that's that's how it kind of works out. So I'm kind of impressed. So which means we have to go to England. Action Radio has to go to England uh, and they're probably broadcast from uh, Oxford University and from, uh, from the Magna Carta. <laughs> you know, hey, wouldn't that be great? And now Action Radio live from the Magna Carta. You know, so those are the kind of things I'm, I'm working on for our future. So let's get back to this article first. I have, a, like I say, I have tons of things to do and I have tons of time to do it in, so you know, we're good. So Fred Jacobs from Jacobs Media Strategies, he wrote an article, The Need for News and Media Innovation Has Never Been Greater. And like I said in my comment, uh, dude, we're here. He's, and some of this stuff is, is kind of like inside baseball information, but I'll, I'll, I'll go over it anyway to keep it in context. He says, if you followed our business to CES over the years, I'm not sure what CES is. It's a big convention. It's a Vegas convention. He says, you know how much Paul, I guess this is his partner, and I uh, uh, enjoy spending time, or maybe it's his kid, I don't know. Anyway, so Paul and I enjoy spending time in Eureka Park. It's off the beaten CES path. Uh, okay, that's just, that's, we can skip all that stuff. All right. Then he says, and that's why bootstrap entrepreneurs are so appealing and necessary. Eureka Park is the chance for the little guy, that would be me, or gal, that would not be me, <laughs> to show off their innovative genius. Uh, well, more than 1,000 inventors are on display. And while it's often hit and miss, we're always up, uh, always end up bumping into some truly cool innovations, concepts, and dreams. That would be us. <laughs> All right. This is, that's why the idea of supporting startups is so important. Okay, I'm waiting. So those who may have less access to capital, that would be me, or mentorship, that's not me, uh, have an opportunity to chase their ideas and perhaps have a breakthrough that could benefit us all. That is definitely us. <laughs> okay. Then he says, on the journalistic side, that's us, of the media spectrum, well, actually, that's not us. We're not journalists. We're, we're advocates. Okay. There's never been a greater need for trustworthy reporting that serves all the communities in this country. Well, what are the communities in this country? I, I always question that kind of thing. You know, are we talking black and white communities, older, young communities, you know, Catholic, uh, Jewish, or, or, or Hindu communities? What kind of communities are we talking about? Immigrants versus uh, citizens? Come on, give me a break. Or natural born? You know, I, I don't believe in, you know, I don't, this whole community concept. No, we're, we're a nation of states. Actually, we're states that have kind of usefully, loosely combined uh, in, into a, a nation. But we're actually um, a series of uh, these <coughs> United States, not the United States, these United States. In other words, the states are first. Uh, the fact that they're states first, that they're, they're united is what counts, not that they're united in those states. You've got to get your priorities straight. Okay, then he says, the trend line isn't pretty, but it probably won't surprise you. A jaundiced eye has increasingly become key, a key asset in evaluating what we see here and absorb. 
actually six companies six companies control what you see here uh, and get on the media, except they don't control us. We're independent. That's the nice thing about Blog Talk Radio. All of us blog talkers are independent. Then it says, despite technology, the internet, the exponential and exponential sources, trust in news media is at an all-time low. Well, of course it is, because they lie. Corporate news doesn't work. Then it says to, he says, to add to that, newspapers, especially in small markets, are folding. Well, that's because they don't have the big capital and the big companies are swallowing them up and people don't read newspapers anymore. They don't. You know, so, but it costs less to, uh, uh, to go online. So all you local journalistic people, if you had really good stuff, you know, market, go on Facebook, you know, get your, uh, get your social media up. And, uh, but it, it's hard to generate money for the, the smaller publications because the big ones so dominate. You know, it's interesting, but that's okay. We'll be bigger than CNN here, hopefully in a year or two. Uh, maybe this year. We'll see. Depends where we get that Trump endorsement. All right, back to the article. In America in 2023, there are news deserts where people get scant coverage of their communities. And while those of us who live in prosperous areas have many media options from which to choose, there are many cities, towns, and rural areas that are underserved. Well, you know, you got to have local news. What is it? The, uh, uh, this one, you know, the, the Buffalo Express, I think it's called, or something like that, or the, you know, the, the Smoky Mountain News, or the, there's some, there's some these, you know, local publications that actually go national. There's a few of them. And I, I forgot, there's a couple of the ones that I used to take a look at. Brian Sussman in San Francisco one. You know, when I was there, he was a talk show host. He had one of these local, you know, Buffalo Junction news. I'll think of it at some point. But there's some, some of the local news is really good, so good. The writers are so good that they should be national. But, uh, you know, they're just obliterated by the, uh, you know, the one-size-fits-all news. That's why if you take, a, you take a 30 newscasts and you play them all simultaneously, you can actually understand it because they're all saying the same thing at the same time. He then says, so how do we as a society overcome the obvious barriers and barriers and roadblocks that prevent journalism from sprouting in these communities? Very simple. Stop big tech censoring us. <laughs> okay. Then he says, covering the news, especially at the hyper-local level, is expensive and arduous. How can innovation be applied to these problems and challenges in order to promote better outcomes? Well, I do most of my local coverage by having people call in or I get my cell phone and I walk around and I, I video stuff like the Mardi Gras parade. It's actually not that hard, but because I've got a, a worldwide internet radio show that gives me access and more people have access to it. And I have friends, local stuff around here. We've got great coverage in the South Santa Rosa uh, news, for example, that put my Mardi Gras video up and uh, we've got a whole bunch of views. So one thing that news organizations can do is cooperate, you know, play stuff from other places. I mean, the AP is a, you know, the, the Associated Press, the Newswire, you know, uh, is the thing that uh, that's basically everybody subscribes to it. It's a shared news service. And that's where my, my, uh, my news sound, my teletype comes from. So if we're going to go to news mode, let's go to news mode here. Let me see if I can sound like a, on one of those broadcast news stations. Uh, here we go. All right. So, and now the action radio news. Yes, live from somewhere in downtown historic Milton, Florida, on the banks of the Blackwater River, the news. Let's go to the wire and see what's on. So that's how you do a news show. It's not that hard. You get a theme, you get a teletype sound, and uh, away you go. Then you just you know, talk about news. Uh, that's how we do it here. And so I think it's just me pushing buttons, <laughs> you know, the recordings and things that I borrowed, found, you know, made, and away you go. 
And so that's the, then he says, well, so it's not that hard to do local news. We do local news. We do national news. We do international news. We do all kinds of stuff here, you know, and it's all kind of run through me and a bunch of reporters and people that call in and add stuff on Facebook and uh, we have all kinds of sources, but it's not that tough. The toughest thing is to find more sponsors. You know, it, it, it's going to be weird. You know, when we're huge, we're going to have all the sponsors we want, but the, most of them won't be able to afford us at that point. You know, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how that works. Now's the time to get in. All you sponsors out there, trust me when I say this, now is the time to get in. Because once you're in, you're in. Okay? But if you wait too long and we get too big, it's going to be a lot harder. But uh, that's, that's how it's going to go. But I've already figured that. Back to the article. He says, let's face it. It takes not only money, but the motivation to apply it to the best, most innovative thinkers and doers. That would definitely be us here at Action Radio. So I have good news and bad news on this front. I'll find out. I haven't even read this one. I just pulled this up right before the show. He says, the former is that there's an upcoming competition that many groups and companies can participate in that will split $130,000 this year. Okay, now you got my interest. <laughs> it's an exciting venture. Jacobs Media will play a role in that provides much-needed support to those who need it most. That would definitely be us. He says, now for the bad news. Tomorrow through Friday, February 17th, uh, at midnight Pacific time is the application deadline. Ooh, tomorrow, Friday, February 17th. Okay, I'll apply today. He says, I know, I know. It's super tight. We just found out uh, about the next challenge for journalism and media this week ourselves. So there, so there I see this thing here. Then they have this big banner, the next challenge for media and journalism. Part of $130,000? Yeah, I'm going to apply. I'm going to apply right after the show. I'm glad I found this. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> then he says, a little better news. The application is a 15-minute process. Well, of course, I can't do it during the show then. That gives you an opportunity to pull things together in the next several weeks. This doesn't mean your innovation has to be a drawing uh, on the back of a cocktail napkin. In fact, it may be something already up and running. As long as it isn't making too much money, you could qualify. <laughs> I think we qualify. <laughs> he says there are great uh, facts, you know, frequently asked questions in the next challenge website that should clear up any questions along with the application itself. This is, what if we win this? Wouldn't this be great? Paul and I will be mentoring and or judging as Next Challenge moves through its phases. Okay. Uh, the LinkedIn post describes, uh, post includes a short video featuring last year's winners. Okay, fine. Uh, when Poo's pulling this together, Twin Cities-based American Public Media Group, or as you've no doubt heard on the radio, APM. No, I've, I do doubt. I've never heard that on the radio because mostly the most radio I listen to is ours. <laughs> he says they own public radio. St- I got to go to public radio? Oh, they're going to love me. Public radio stations in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Los Angeles, and they produce that great program about money and finance, Marketplace. Well, actually, I have heard that. APM also works with the BBC News. Oh, that's good. we got a lot of listeners in England. Okay, so that'd be good for us. BBC News to bring its award-winning journalism to America in the form of the BBC News Hour. Okay, so shall we go British? And now, ladies and gentlemen, the British, uh, the BBC presents the News Hour and the BBC World Service, which many U.S. stations run during their overnight hours because Americans don't care what's happening in Britain. It's too small. There we go. So this is the guy behind the next challenge is Jeff Freeland Nelson, executive director of Glenn Nelson Center at American Public Media. Yada, yada, yada. I think I've I've run out of what I want to say about this. But uh, suffice it to say, but now having, uh, having said this, uh, I'm going to apply. Uh, there we go. Okay, so I'm going to leave my comment up there now, now that I've made it. <laughs> but I'm, I'm definitely going to apply. <laughs> and uh, so then we get our application. We'll, we'll see what happens. Okay, first thing I want to talk about. Next thing I want to talk about, and I'm going to play a lot of commercials and things during the show because when you do two-hour marathon conversation, or monologues, it gets, uh, it gets a little tough after a while. So I think about the train action. I was thinking about uh, how everybody panics and everybody's panicking over COVID and they panic over masks and they panic over everything and everybody's afraid of everything, you know, and that's, that's government induced fear. 
There's no reason for it. Part of mass psychosis is to keep you afraid of everything so you never challenge the status quo. Well, I spent my whole life challenging the status quo. That's what it's all about. And so I'm always reminded of um, one of my favorite pieces by Mark Twain, who talks about the danger of lying in bed. So I'm just going to read it. (laughs) We can talk about this in a minute. So The Danger of Lying in Bed by Mark Twain sometime in the 1800s, who says, the man in the ticket office said, have an accident insurance ticket also? No, I said, after studying the matter over a little. No, I believe not. I'm going to be traveling by rail all day today. However, tomorrow I don't travel. Give me one for tomorrow. Puzzled, he said, but it is for accident insurance. And if you are going to travel by rail, (laughs) Mark Twain, if I'm going to travel by rail, I shan't need it. Lying at home in bed, that's the thing I'm afraid of. I had been looking into this matter. This is Mark Twain talking. I had been looking into this matter. Last year, I traveled 20,000 miles, almost entirely by rail. The year before, I traveled over 25,000 miles. Let me move this so I can read the whole thing. Oh, it's a wide column. I have to reduce it a little bit. No, I think I can do this. Uh, if you call in and I don't get to you, it's because um, the, uh, the article is covering up my, my, sc- <laughs> my screen right now. I don't want to mess with it. Let me start again. Last year, I traveled 20,000 miles, almost entirely by rail. The year before, I traveled over 25,000 miles, half by sea and half by rail. And the year before that, I traveled in the neighborhood of 10,000 miles exclusively by rail. I suppose if I put in all the little odd journeys here and there, I may say I have traveled 60,000 miles during the three years I have mentioned and never had an accident. For a good while, I said to myself every morning, now I have escaped thus far. And so the chances are just that much increased that I shall catch it this time. I will be shrewd and buy an accident ticket. And to a dead moral certainty, I drew a blank and went to bed that night without a joint started or a bone splintered. That would be food. (laughs) I got tired of that sort of daily bother and felt and fell to buying accident tickets that were, that were good for a month. I said to myself, a man can't buy 30 blanks in one bundle. But I was mistaken. There was never a prize in the lot. I could read of railway accidents every day. The newspaper atmosphere was foggy with them, but somehow they never came my way. I found I had spent a good deal of money in the accident business and had nothing to show for it. My suspicions were aroused, and I began to hunt around for somebody that had won in this lottery. I found plenty of people who had had invested, but not an individual that had ever had an accident or made a cent. I stopped buying accident tickets and went to ciphering. The result was astounding. The peril lay not in traveling, but in staying at home. I hunted up statistics and was amazed to find that in all of the glaring newspaper headlines concerning railroad disasters, less than 300 people had really lost their lives by those disasters in the preceding 12 months. The Erie Road was set down as the most murderous in the list. It had killed 46 or 26. I do not exactly remember which, but I know the number was double that of any other road. But the fact straightway suggested straightway suggested itself that the Erie was an immensely long road and did more business than any other line in the country. There's a railroad. When he says road, he means railroads, okay? Any other line in the country. So the double number of killed ceased to be a matter for surprise. By further figuring, it appeared that between New York and Rochester, the Erie ran eight passenger trains each way every day, 16 altogether, and carried a daily average of 6,000 persons. That is about a million in six months, the population of New York City. So that's how old the article is, right? This is the 1800s. You know, anyway, million in six months, the population of New York City. Well, the Erie kills from 13 to 23 persons of its million in six months. And in the same time, 13,000 of New York's million die in their beds. 
<laughs> you get that? So 13 to 23 people die on the railroads, and 13,000 people in New York die in their beds. <laughs> my flesh crept. My hair stood on end. This is appalling, I said. The danger isn't in traveling by rail, but in trusting to those deadly beds. I will never sleep in a bed again. I had figured on considerably less than one half uh, the length of Erie Road. It was plain that the entire, um, the entire road must transport at least 11 or 12,000 persons, people every day. There are many short roads running out of Boston that do fully half as much, a great many such roads. There are many roads scattered. These are railroads again. There are many roads scattered about the Union that do a prodigious passenger business. Therefore, it was fair to presume that an average of 2,500 passengers a day for each road in the country would be almost correct. There are 846 rail lines in our country, and 846 times 2,500 are 2,115,000. So the railways of America move more than 2 millions of people every day, 650 millions of people a year without counting the Sundays. They do that too. There is no question about it, though where they get the uh, raw material is clear beyond the jurisdiction of my arithmetic. For I have hunted the census through and through, and I find that there are not that many people in the United States by a matter of 610 millions at the very least. They must use some of the same people over again, <laughs> likely. <laughs> San Francisco is one-eighth the populace of New York. Uh, there are 60 deaths a week in the former and 500 a week in the latter, if uh, they have luck. That is 3,120 deaths a year in San Francisco and eight times as many in New York, say about 25,000 or 26,000. The health of the two places is the same. So we will let it stand as a fair presumption that this will hold good all over the country and that consequently 20, 25,000 out of every million of people we have must die every year. That amounts to one fortieth of our total population. One million of us then die annually. Out of this million, 10 or 12,000 are stabbed, shot, drowned, hanged, poisoned, or made a similarly violent death in some other popular way, such as perishing by kerosene lamp and hoop skirt conflagrations, getting buried in coal mines, falling off housetops, breaking through, the, breaking through church or lecture room floors, taking patent medicines, <laughs> that's fascinating, right? Or committing suicide in other forms. The Erie Railroad kills 23 to 46, and the other 845 railroads kill an average of one-third of a man each, and the rest of that million, amounting to the aggregate to that appalling figure of 987,631 corpses, die naturally in their beds. You will excuse me from taking any more chances on those beds. The railroads are good enough for me, and my advice to all people is don't stay at home more than you can help. But when you have got to stay at home a while, buy a package of those insurance tickets and sit up nights. You cannot be too cautious. One reason I see now why I answered that ticket agent in the manner recorded at the top of the sketch. The moral of this composition is that thoughtless people grumble more than is fair about railroad management in the United States. When we consider that every day and night of the year, full 14,000 railway trains of various kinds, freighted with life and armed with death, go thundering over the land, the marvel is not that they kill 300 human beings in a 12 month, but that they do not kill 300 times 300. So much for the dangers of staying in bed. <laughs> I found this fascinating. And I, I, read this, I read this years ago. Right? So the dangers of staying in bed, uh, Mark Twain. And the other one is, of course, uh, you know, here I was, and I wrote this, this nasty comment. <laughs> we'll see what happens. You know, from uh, the new the need for news and media innovation. Let me take a look at that. Maybe I should rewrite that con that comment. Um, uh, can I edit it? Does it have a place for editing? No, it doesn't. Oops. Okay. Well, I guess I guess that's not gonna work. All right. Fine. We'll leave it as it is. But I'll definitely be applying. 
Uh, maybe I should write that in. Oh, I'll write that in after the show. But anyway, so we'll leave that, leave that stand where it is. But yes, the dangers of lying in bed. Do not stay in bed too long. It's dangerous. It's, it's, it's not a good thing. Anyway, let's take that out and uh, we'll empty that window. Um, I'm going I'm to play like a little. What haven't I played for a while? Let me see if I can get you something kind of amusing to keep you going here. Uh, let me tell you the, the first first sarcastic piece I ever played was uh, uh, Pianki's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream. And the reason I played that is because Pianki and I were having a conversation one day, and he was talking about blackface with the governor of Virginia and uh, what's his name, uh, Justin Trudeau in Canada. You know, what is it about white liberal guys that they have to go in blackface, right? So what he said was, you know, I said, and me, you know, Pianki's black. And he says, and me, I have to put on that white shaving cream every morning. I got to go in white face. Well, of course, I'm on the floor laughing so hard. You know, I thought this is hysterical. And this brought about the first of our many sarcastic pieces that we play on the show. So I'll start with this. And we're going to work our way through them. I'll have like an article and then a sarcastic piece. And then we'll kind of uh, work our way through the show that way. So this was the first of the many sarcastic uh, uh, satire pieces I made for Action Radio back during the lockdown um, of 2020. Let's see if we can get it started here one more time. It's morning, and you are a proud black man. You go to the mirror. You are reminded of Governor Northrop of Virginia and Prime Minister Trudeau of Canada, both of whom appeared in blackface. And there you are. You just put on your shaving cream. And what do you see? Whiteface. It's bad enough that leftist aspiring dictators are choosing to go in blackface. But you, proud black man, have no choice but to appear in white face every morning you shave. Now, direct from Pianchi Laboratories, comes a great new product made especially for you, proud black man. Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream. Yes, Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream will give you your black face back during your morning shave. For Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream, it's the first ever black shaving cream. Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream comes in three shades. Dark, darker, and darkest. So now, proud black man, you have a choice. You can stay in white face every morning, or you can join black men everywhere and choose Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream every morning. <laughs> See the phone we have around here? Uh, it, it, everything's pretty fair game here. So uh, especially when you get wildly popular and people start discovering these little satire pieces I've made, it's going to get really interesting. <laughs> I can just see the labels now. All right. I've got a ton of articles. Um, I tried organizing them and they're just too many. So I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm just going to go from front to back and as they come and as the different topics uh, emerge, we're just sort of go through them and arrange my computer screen a little bit here. And so I can see what's going on. There we go. Okay. So, First one is East Palestine train derailment, what we know about the situation. And this is from uh, the, the Cincinnati Inquirer. Um, this would have been from yesterday. And the uh, author is Victoria Moorwood, M-O-O-R-W-O-O-D, Victoria Moorwood, who wrote about the situation. And she says, uh, this is live updated on Monday, so this is a couple of days old. But, you know, anyway. I usually like to let stories go for a few days before I report them, just so I can get a, a more of a comprehensive feel for what's happening. She says Norfolk, 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 N-O-R-F-O-L-K, Norfolk Southern Railroad submitted its remedial action plan on Monday, detailing its response to the train derailment in East Palestine. As Palestine's over in the Middle East, even though it's not really a place, it's a made-up place. Palestine is Ohio, which I find it interesting the way they pronounce it. You know, but that's it's their town; they can pronounce it however they want. I just you know, it's like Kiev. It's Kiev. It's not Kiev. OK, that, that's what happens when you, you know, you suffer from uh, a bunch of things. That, oh, yeah. Oh, did you hear about that? Biden's going uh, for his, his physical. And they keep talking about it as the oldest 
oldest person, the oldest president to, uh, you know, in office. first of all, he's not president, so he can't be the oldest president. Secondly, he's the occupant. So, so uh, you know, it, it's, it's amazing how many of the history books are going to have to be rewritten uh, after Brandon, you know, uh, gets removed, <laughs> you know, or the election gets uh, corrected. And uh, they're going to have to – it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. I mean, I want to see how they're going to – how this, you know, a few years from now, how they're going to write about Brandon. Brandon the illegal, you know, Brandon the non-president, Brandon the, uh, the White House occupant. You know, so the history is going to be fascinating uh, to see how that goes. So all the official records, you know, there's a lot of things that these people are going to have to change. And they might also start doing it now. You know, so in fact, I might uh, put out uh, – we'll do a story on that. You know, it's, okay, it's time to change the records. You know, he's not there. He's not legal. It's not uh, – he never won. In fact, the nice thing about 2024, it'll be Trump's second, second term. Think about that. Back to the article. Uh, Trans derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, and what it plans to do next. That's Norfolk Southern Railroad. In the plan submitted to the Ohio Environmental Protection Agency, oh, I'm sure they were really helpful, the company said it will install wells to monitor groundwater and sample soil in the Ohio village. Bit late now. <laughs> you know, doing wells now. Of course, you know where they're going to put the wells, right? They're going to put the wells where they know the groundwater isn't flowing from the train accident. <laughs> That's what they're going to do. All right. So they're going to install wells. Why don't you monitor the wells that are already existing? Why don't you monitor the wells that people are taking their drinking water from? That would make more sense. But that, and that way, but th- if that happens, they'll find all these chemicals. Did you see, oh, it was on the news last night that uh, it was on Newsmax. And I'm watching this woman. She takes a match, a wooden standard match, probably like for lighting gas stoves and stuff. So she takes a wooden match and she holds it near her faucet. The water, you know, the water's flowing out, and all of a sudden these, these flames burst out because there's methane uh, in her water. So the methane, the, the natural gas, is already mixing with the water, you know, from, from this disaster. Uh, pretty interesting stuff. Anyway, so uh, in the plan submitted to the Ohio Environmental, so, that, so now they're submitting the plan to go make wells long after the accident. But like I say, test the ones that exist. That's what you want to do. Uh, and they're going to install wells. Yeah, great. Then it says residents were allowed to return home last week uh, after about 50 train cars, 11 of which carried hazardous materials, derailed in a fiery wreck on February 3rd. Vinyl chloride, which I assume is to make vinyl. Could be wrong. We'll check it out. Vinyl chloride, uh, a gas contained in five of the cars, was released and burned to prevent explosion, causing toxic fumes to be released into the area. Okay, now let's think about that. Let's think about that first of all. My first reaction when I heard this was, why didn't these idiots pump out the vinyl chloride from the unexploded cars and pump out whatever was still there from the leaking cars. Pump it out, truck it out, take it away, take it to a hazardous materials disposal facility. Isn't that what they they tell us to do with our oil from car changes, from oil changes? Isn't that what they they tell us to do with batteries, with uh, any kind of hazardous material? Don't we have to take it to a proper hazardous material disposal area? You can't burn it. In a lot of places in the country, you can't even burn leaves. That's kind of a shock to come to Florida. I saw people burning leaves. In California, you can't burn leaves. Why? Because it puts particulate matter into the air. The California Air Resources Board, you know, colloquially known as the Air Nazis, you know, would, uh, they've stopped all, all, all burning. No fires in the wintertime. You know, God forbid you should put a fire in your fireplace, <laughs> you know, in California in the wintertime. What a stupid idea. What were you thinking? Right? You know, we used to burn all our Christmas trees. We'd uh, take our trees. This is actually a really fun tradition until, of course, the California Air Resources Board, the, the Air Nazis, you know, told us we couldn't do it anymore. And, they, they, and people didn't, which is too bad. I think I still did for a while. I don't think anybody really bothered me, but uh, there's always a few of us defiant types that, that, that continue doing it. But the masses, they go along. 
you know, they wear masks. They, they uh, take uh, dangerous injections into their arm. They do all kinds of things I don't understand. Anyway, so we used to take our, our uh, Christmas trees uh, down to Ocean Beach, which is this big beach. It runs the entire west length of San Francisco, so seven miles long. Seven miles long, it's about 200 yards, 300 yards, you know, wide. It's, it's, it's a big beach, right? And we brought our Christmas trees there, and we all set them on fire. It was great. So you'd have all these trees on fire, thousands, I mean, literally thousands of trees on Ocean Beach on fire, lit up the sky. Uh, that wonderful aroma of pine was in the air. It was really smoky, of course, um, but it got rid of all these dangerous trees so they didn't burn in people's houses. You know, you, uh, you had to get rid of them, and uh, it, was, it was wonderful. And, and people got to talk to each other and meet each other, and, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd talk about our trees and Christmas, and it was a really great social occasion. It was bonding. It was a San Francisco bonding event, right? So we bonded on Ocean Beach, burning our Christmas trees, um, sometime, you know, mid-January, like a week after New Year's, and it was great until the Air Nazis, you know, said no, which is what Air Nazis do. So where are the Air Nazis now? <laughs> well, they're not there because this is a government that decided to do this. So you can't do it. So here's the double standard. And this is why I think uh, we need to institute an entire, I'm going to talk to Jonathan about this, an entire new section of law um, called government liability. What are government people liable for? See, their immunity. If we take their immunity away, of course, the logic is, well, they have to be able to make controversial decisions for the public good. Well, I don't think this qualifies. <laughs> you know? So the idea is that, uh, that they have to have some kind of liability. Companies have liability, except, you know, vaccine makers, um, but your donut shop does, you know, your auto mechanic does, you know, your, your local widget maker, you know, the spaghetti factory down the street that, that makes pasta, you know, they got liability. Big pharma? No, they're too big, too big for liability. Uh, but this, that's the first question that should be asked is why didn't they pump out the hazardous chemicals? Why did they just, you know, and they said to, they, they, so they, they actually, it, here's the irony. They, they created an explosion to, to stop an explosion. So what looks like an explosive, in many ways, burning of these chemicals with the mushroom cloud, you know, that's indicative of an atomic bomb, right? So they have the mushroom cloud. They've got the, uh, these fires raging, you know, many, many uh, feet into the air, uh, turning into this thick, black, acrid, let's use that word in conversation, smoke that is deadly. It's vinyl chloride. It's who knows what else is in there and who knows what it changes into once it's burned. You know, and who knows how far it's going to go? Because the smoke you see is not as dangerous as the chemicals you don't see. So you may see the black smoke and think that's it. But no, those chemicals are spreading from that black smoke in every direction, uh, taking, going wherever the wind takes it. So it's the stuff you can't see. It's like diesel. People think diesels are, are dirtier because you see smoke coming out. Well, those are just particulates. Those are particles, They're like carbon particles. You know, that's not what's dangerous. What's dangerous are the chemicals. You know, the, the, the nitrous oxide, sulfur oxide, things like that. Uh, if you have too many of those, then you've got a problem. And I'm not sure that how diesel differs from gasoline. We'll, we'll talk about that. So I'll, I'll get Steve Terrell back on who was on yesterday. He was a, he's an old man. He's an old man. So he knows all. <laughs> so he knows oil. So we'll get him back on and we'll, we'll talk about the differences between diesel fuel. See, we were doing election integrity yesterday. We, we talked a little bit too much about, you know, fossils and organic fuel, but uh, it was interesting. Anyway, so I digress. Anyway, but, uh, but we have to hold government liable. So why is it that the government can basically create a cancer cluster, which is going to happen in this town? This town's going to be a cancer cluster. Follow it in the news. It's not the story today that matters so much. It's the story, you know, one year and five years and 10 years down the road. Because unless these people get the hell out of there, you know, they're going to have major, major problems. This is, a, this is already a, a hazmat, what we used to call a super fun site. Superfund sites were those designated that were so bad, so disastrous, so disgusting that the people, their homes were bought, they were able to move. See, a lot of people can't move from these places because what's the first thing that happens to your property value when you have a natural disaster? 
well, your value goes to zero because nobody wants to move there. Well, if your property value goes to zero, you have nothing, you have no equity in your house anymore and you can't sell it. So, you're, the, the, so the market actually condemns these people to live in a place that nobody wants to go to because it's deadly. So the proper solution, this is the one time the government should come in, buy the homes, give these people some travel money, let them locate somewhere else because they basically effed up, shall we say, <laughs> you know, and they burned the fuel, they burned the chemicals rather than truck them out of there. So that was the mistake, which leads me to the conclusion, the, the question of is, uh, these tanker cars, aren't they thick enough to withstand a collision? That was one of the big debates. I remember in, in uh, California when Senator, here's, here's kind of a funny story, right? So Senator Barbara Boxer, uh, who was one of the, the great liberals with Diane Feinstein. And so the two ladies from, I think, the East Coast, <laughs> both of them are East Coasters, right? So they come to California and become senators. And so Barbara Boxer was holding an open hearing. And it was, and I just, I was literally just walking by. It was kind of funny. Um, I don't know if my kid was with me or a friend of mine. I've forgotten when. This is a long time ago. So she's holding a hearing in this office. The door is open. So, of course, I walk in. <laughs> right? And they have all these oil people and some media people and uh, some shipbuilders and some other things. And they were discussing the possibility or the requirement to double hull tankers, oil tankers. So a double hull means that there's a hull inside the hull. So the inside hull is, is to contain the oil. The outside hull is to contain the inside hull. The, the, the whole idea of this is with a double, hull, a double hull, you're much less likely to get oil spilling if there's a collision. It's a great idea. I love it. It makes perfect sense to me. I was all for it. You know? Well, gee, Greg, that's uh, putting restrictions on big business. <laughs> yes, it is, because the cost of, uh, of oil spills is a whole lot greater, and big business can be negligent if you let them. That's the whole point of liability. Liability is what keeps big business honest. Okay, I have nothing against big business. But if you're going to do stupid things, then you've got to pay the consequence. And that might mean losing your company because you're so stupid and so cheap that you didn't put all the spikes in the tracks. You didn't double hull your tankers. You, know, you didn't double, double uh, insulate your, uh, your chemical, your railroad cars. You know, these are things that should be done. They do that with nuclear plants. You know, they have what they call a containment vessel, vessel. The thing that made Chernobyl so deadly was not that it was a nuclear accident because nuclear accidents happen. You know, stuff happens. What made it so deadly was they didn't have a, a, a 10-foot-thick concrete, you know, containment vessel around the nuclear reactor like we do. <laughs> so, so Western, you know, and why do they do that? Because they've got product liability, okay? It all comes back to product liability. So if you have product liability, you know, that's what keeps companies honest because they get their asses sued off if they don't do it properly. You know, you look at uh, who's got product liability. Gun manufacturers have product liability. No, not for using a crime. That's different. That's stupid. And it's unconstitutional. But if the gun doesn't work properly, if it doesn't fire when it should, you can sue them. If you drop it on the ground and a round goes off, you know, it can't pass the drop test. That's, that's an unsafe product. So consumer products and guns are very strictly regulated. They have huge liability. Why do you think the guns are made so well? That's why they're expensive. But I'd rather have an expensive gun that works well than one that's cheaply made. And if you drop it, it fires. And that's how people get killed. You know, you mentioned uh, there was no product liability on anything. Think about that for a second. So no product liability on, on, uh, on your snake oil, on your food, on your sunscreen, you know, on your appliances, you know, on your car, you know, no liability for the elevator you ride in, no liability for anything. If there's no liability, then companies could do whatever they want because there would be no penalty for screwing up. Oh, yeah, sure, they'd maximize profits, but a lot of people would die. And not just in bed, like Mark Twain said. So what Mark Twain proved, and it was actually trail, rail travel was much more dangerous then than it is today. I've been all over the country by train. I've been all over Europe by train. We never had an accident or an incident, thank God. I could have. 
Um, but it was, uh, you know, but as Mark Twain says, most people die in bed, which is true. Stay out of bed. You know, all these things you're worried about. Now, which is not to say we can't reduce risk. And the one place we need to reduce risk right now is the airline pilots. Okay. Uh, you need, they, need, they all need to be on vaccine injury uh, health recovery. They all need to be on programs and on uh, nutrients uh, and medicines that reduce the, uh, the side effects, the bad effects, the deadly effects of the COVID jab. That's what they need to be on. That's a preventive measure that will be good uh, because they're liable. You know, if they have an accident, they're liable. An airplane accident can cost millions of dollars. We've had a couple of near collisions. I don't call them near misses. A miss is a miss, all right? But these are near collisions where airliners, you know, when airliners collide, um, hundreds and hundreds of people die. Last time we had a major air collision, it was at Tenerife in the Canary Islands when a, a Pan Am plane uh, landed and a KLM plane was taking off or the other way around. One of them was landing, one was taking off. And the pilot of the airplane taking off screwed up. Uh, he didn't get clearance. He just kind of texted on the runway. Said, oh, nobody's here. Let's go. <laughs> you know, we're cleared. And I think the co-pilot said, I don't remember getting a clearance. Ah, don't worry about it. We're fine. And then, of course, a 747 lands on top of another 747, and almost 800 people died. That's arrogance. <laughs> you know, don't be arrogant. But they're liable. Whoever, I forgot the airline that uh, whichever one was at fault was liable for that. Okay? That's how, that's how you keep companies honest with liability. But we need to – but the government – you know, if the government can do what private corporations can't do, then that's a problem. And that's what I think is happening here. Because the government people came in and said, ah, just burn it. <laughs> you know, it's the easiest, cheapest, fastest way to get rid of it. And then we'll tell people that it's safe. They don't know. They have no clue. Okay? Especially when they're, they're drilling new wells, which the companies have already scoped out to be in aquifers that are like upwind <laughs> of the accident. So they're not going to drill wells you know, where the groundwater is flowing, they're going to drill wells, you know, before they, the, the water gets to the accident scene. I go, look, water's fine. I mean, I know how this is going to go. This is so obvious. Anyway, it says residents were allowed to return home last week after about 50 trains, 11 of which carried hazardous materials, derailed in a fiery wreck. Now, we're going to find out why they derailed. We'll get to that in a little bit. It says the village will host a town hall about the derailment on Wednesday. That would have been yesterday. Here's what we know about the situation right now. So it says uh, East Palestine, Ohio is about 50 miles northwest of Pittsburgh, about 21 miles south of Youngstown, Ohio, part of the Columbiana County. Columbiana? That's Columbus again, right? Where did the train derail? Okay, we got the, here we got the map, all that kind of stuff. What caused it to derail? Okay, here we go. A mechanical issue with a rail car axle caused the fiery derailment of about 50 freight cars, 11 of which contain hazardous materials in East Palestine on February 3rd. Federal investigators said five of the cars contain vinyl chloride. Okay, so a rail car axle, a mechanical issue. Well, if it was a mechanical issue, it's maintenance. If it's maintenance, it's a part that either should have been replaced or should have been fixed. So all this caused, it comes down to this one little sentence here, a rail car axle. So, the, so that's the thing that holds the wheels. It holds the wheels on. So the, you look at the wheel on one side, you look at the wheel on the other side, the thing between them is an axle. Okay, not axle rows, but an axle train. That's an axle. Your, your cars have axles. Although they're different, they're independent suspension and all this stuff right now. Let's click on that and see where, where the rail car axle. Let's, let's see what the, the next installment from, this, from the Inquirer of Cincinnati says. This is, see, this is a good local, local star. So they're on top of this, right? Uh-oh. Cincinnati Inquirer. Cincinnati.com. Associated Press. 9.44 p.m. Eastern Time, February 5th. Safety for a mechanical defect caused East Palestine Ohio trek. Now, you haven't heard this a lot, have you? 
Okay, I mean they're talking about the, the, the smoke, the fumes, the the explosion, everything else like that, but they haven't really talked about the train. At least on what I've seen. East Palestine, Ohio. A mechanical issue with a rail axle caused a fiery derailment of a dozen freight cars in Ohio near the Pennsylvania state line Friday night. The smoldering tangle of cars some carrying hazardous materials can evacuation or in effect. Again, Mike Graham of the board member of the National Transportation Safety Board. Oh, here we go. Said at a news conference that the three-member train crew, here we go, received an alert about the mechanical defect shortly before the derailment. Oops. Liability. Comes back to li- everything comes back to liability, right? The three-member train received an alert about the mechanical defect shortly before the derailment. That in the news either. But said the board was still working to determine which rail car experienced the issue. Well, I'd say the one closest to the crash. <laughs> you know, the one, with, the one with the broken axle. <laughs> That's the one that caused the problem, right? Well, of course, they all have probably broken axles now. Then it says about 50 cars derailed in East Palestine about 9 p.m. Friday night. Uh, as the train was carrying a variety of products from Madison, Illinois, to Conway, Pennsylvania. Uh, okay. Graham said investigators have, identified, have also identified the exact point of derailment, but did not disclose the location Sunday. Okay, so they know where it derailed, but they're not going to tell you where. Well, that's interesting. Okay, fine. So it's a mechanical problem. And, and I wish they'd elaborate more. They didn't. The crew got a warning. They didn't do anything. Yeah, you know, let's like a warning light goes off. They don't do anything about it. That's not good. <laughs> that's that's really stupid. <laughs> that's really dangerous. You can't, you, you know, don't, don't do that. <laughs> okay. All right, let's see what else we got here. Let's see if I can find another story. Uh, let's take another break in a bit. Ah, uh, here we go. Developing, and this is from Gateway Pundit, from Christina Lala. I, actually, I think I met her on a, on a Zoom call at one point, uh, February 13th, so that was a couple days ago. Um, that'd be Monday, actually, the day before Valentine's Day. Developing emergency officials responding to two more train derailments, one in South Carolina, according to in, another in Texas. Oops, we've got a pattern here. Two more train derailments, one in South Carolina, another in Texas. Oh, boy. Emergency responders on Monday respond to two more train derailments. At least one person is dead after a crash caused by a train derailment at uh, US 59 in Montgomery, Texas. According to deputies, a truck collided with a train, causing it to derail. Okay, we have a video right here. So, so this is the thing too. I don't understand these things that happen at railroad tracks. Trucks are required to stop and listen. Buses, commercial vehicles, tour buses. When I drove a tour bus, you come to a railroad track or any kind of a track, even if it's a streetcar track, you know, you got to stop and listen. So, how can these trains, you know, how can trains hit uh, trucks, and how can trucks be hit by trains? Doesn't make sense. You can see the trains coming. They blast that horn. You know, most of these places have a signal. You know, when the red light, the red light, and the little white bar comes down. It says there's another train derailment in Enore, South Carolina. That's E N O R E E. One thing these things have in common: they seem to have the wooden ties. So these are old train tracks. Article says officials are responding to a train derailment in Enore, in Norrie, on Monday afternoon. Uh, and that's from Fox Carolina. C- CSX Transportation is also on the scene. Of course, they are. The corporations are there. A severe train derailment in Ohio that happened Friday the third. Uh, February 3rd is still uh, a danger to residents. Okay, about anyway, so it's, yeah, okay, no big deal there. Pete Buttigieg, the man who got his job because he married the dude, uh, hasn't had a whole lot to say about this. It says, uh, meanwhile, this is about the quote from the, the article, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg is complaining about too many white men who work Christian jobs. Yeah, that sounds like Pete. Thanks, Pete. Great, you just go back to your hubby. Yeah, you'll be fine. Uh, we won't be. 
<laughs> you know, anyway. So I've got another article here. Let's pull this one up and see what we're here. So this is from, probably take a break at the top of the hour. My computer's slow. It doesn't like to do this. Uh, and this is from USA Today. Oh, there's a reliable source, but we'll do it anyway. Trains are becoming less safe. Why the Ohio derailment disaster could happen more often? Well, we've already talked about that. You know, most rail tracks are, are wood instead of concrete, the, the ties. Uh, the rails themselves, the metal rails, are only, you know, fastened with half the number of spikes they should have. You know, you look at a plate. If you look at the track, the actual rail itself, that's what the train, the wheels ride on. And then you look at the, uh, the plate that holds the, the, the rail to the wooden tie. And then you look at the spikes that hold the, the rail to the plate, which holds it to the, the tie. And the spike goes through and is, you know, fastened to this plate. And it holds the track. That's a little, that little lip on it is for that uh, goes over the train track itself, the actual rail. It holds it in. And if you look at all the American tracks I have seen, so Europe doesn't do this. Europe puts two spikes in. But on the American tracks, to save money, you know, because liability, they, they don't have liability for this, right? Uh, they only put half the spikes in. They put one spike in a place where there should be two spikes. Hmm. What could go wrong? Well, what that means is that the train rails are only fastened by half the number of spikes that they should have. You know, would you like to take off in an airliner with only half its tires? Just a thought. How about half its engines? <laughs> you know, would you like to go on runways that are only half as long as they could be? Hmm, this is interesting. So you start reducing the safety factor by 50%, you've got a problem. What if your airliner only took off with half its fuel? I'm just, you know, just throwing out these scenarios. Tammy Abdullah, A-B-D-O-L-L-A-H, USA Today. Uh, February 14th, Valentine's Day, said in 2013, a train derailment and subsequent fire in Lac Magnatique, uh, Quebec. What's that? The Magnetic? <laughs> That's what they named the town? Killed 47 people, oh boy, and required all but three downtown buildings to be demolished for safety reasons. The following year, a derailment in Calliston, uh, Castleton, excuse me, Castleton, North Dakota, C-A-S-S-E-L-T-O-N, Castleton, North Dakota, spilled, spilled nearly half a million gallons of crude oil and caused see, Got to double, got to double your, tra- your, your rail cars, right? So rail cars should be double, uh, I don't know, protected, double hulled. Ships are double hulled. I don't know what they do for, for, uh, for rail car, uh, for chemical, uh, for tanker cars. They should be double tanker protected too. I don't know if they are or not. They might be. I'm not sure. I'll look into that you know, during the course of today's show or certainly by tomorrow. North Dakota spilled nearly half a million gallons of crude oil, causing $13.5 million in damage, prompting the Obama administration to push for a new safety rule to govern the transportation of hazardous materials, avoid environmental disasters, and save lives. Well, did it? (laughs) I have to read the regulation because USA Today is a leftist source, so I'm a little bit skeptical of this. Then it says that the effort to create a new safety rule was fought by industry lobbyists, including Norfolk Southern Corporation. Ooh, that name sounds familiar. Yeah, that's the same company, right? So this article was written, uh, tw- oh, okay, so this, yeah, so this is a current article. The effort to, to create the new safety rules fought by industry lobbyists, including Norfolk Southern Corp. That's the company that had the train disaster in Ohio, right? The Atlanta-based company whose train derailment in eastern Ohio spilled chemicals earlier this month, leaving residents in East Palestine worried about their air, soil, and water quality. Well, they're not only worried about it, they're getting sick. This is when the safety rule was issued in 2015 during the Obama administration. However, it was narrowly crafted and required only, oh, come on, don't just skip around. My screen moved. Required only, 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 only. All right, now it's, this is, I hate when this happens. I lost my article. Where'd it go? Where'd my article go? Hello? Trends becoming less safe. Okay, I read that, read that. 
Um, to push for new safety rules to govern transportation hazards. Okay, the, the, the efforts. Oh, here we go. It says leaving residents of Helen. Okay. When the safety rule was issued in 2015, however, it was narrowly crafted and required only electronically controlled brakes, which applies braking simultaneously across a train rather than rail car by rail car over a span of seconds to be installed by 2023. That would have been this year. It applied only to certain high hazard flammable trains carrying at least 20 consecutive loaded cars filled with liquids like crude oil. Well, the way you get around that is you have a 19 car train or you have 20 cars with a brake in the middle. You know, you put 10 on one side and 10 on the other side, right? That's how you do that. And here's where the liberal stuff comes in. The Trump administration repealed the rule three years later, stating that its cost exceeded its benefits. Well, see, you got to read the rule. Maybe this rule was a benefit included, you know, half a million union jobs. You don't know. So I'm a little skeptical of this because of it's a USA Today source, but I am interested in the breaking because I think that's where the problem is. Now think about this just for a second. I got Pianchi here, so I'll get that in a bit. So it says the safety rule was issued in 2015, narrowly crafted and required only electronically controlled brakes. So it's like uh, like um, what would be the equivalent on cars? Um, anti skid, anti um, anti locking, ABM, right? Anti locking brake. M, whatever M stands for. These are electronically controlled brakes, which apply braking simultaneously across a train rather than rail car by rail car over a span of seconds. So so if I can decipher this properly, this would slow the entire train down at the same time. All the cars would have braking on them being controlled electronically. That makes sense. I guess the old system is rail car by rail car over a span of seconds. I'm assuming back to front, because if you put the brakes on the front train, the back cars are going to pile into them. <laughs> so they have to slow them down back, back to front over a period of seconds. And I imagine that the weight of the back cars and the, the drag on the back cars would slow the front of the train. But it seems, it seems to be very inefficient to me. The slowing down the whole train together seems to make a lot more sense. Anyway, this is efforts to reduce costs, including lobbying against costly regulation, increasing train lengths, reduced inspection times, and major cuts to the railroad workforce have made trains less safe. I agree. Labor representatives and industry experts told USA Today, increasing the potential for accidents like this one uh, in Ohio to become more common. All right. Got a new caller who just uh, joined us about 15 seconds ago. I need you to check in at, um, at our live chat. So get yourself a live chat account. And tell us, you know, where you are calling from, first name, uh, and the topic you want to call, you want to talk about. And the reason I did that uh, is because you've got uh, an undisclosed number. Now, this could be an international call, in which case I might just play a commercial and screen it. But let's see if you can check in there first, and I'll go to Pianchi right now. And then my new caller, um, then uh, what I want you to do is check in with live chat and just uh, broadcast who you are there, or tell me who you are, or I'll, I'll go to commercial in a second, and I'll get, um, I'll, I'll do a, I'll do a little call screening myself. I'll probably do that too. All right, Pianchi. What's up? Good morning, sir. You know, uh, <clears throat> if cool, crude oil spill on the ground, what's the problem? It comes from the ground. And the uh, braking system on trains, mm-hmm. the braking system on trains is air brakes. The mm-hmm. air brakes release the brakes. And the brakes are applied mechanically when the, the car is sitting there by itself. It won't move mm-hmm. until you put air brakes. It's like your air brakes on your uh, on your trucks. Mm-hmm. We should so. explain air brakes because air brakes – actually, my color dropped. Uh, so and this is what happens. You know, I didn't even have to screen them. We should talk about air brakes because a lot of people don't understand how air brakes work. Air brakes are a wonderful invention. They're used on trains. They're used on trucks. Uh, I don't know. if Are they used on tanks? Do military vehicles use air brakes? I'm not sure. 
I don't know about military vehicles. No, they use regular hydraulic brakes. Depends okay. on what vehicles you're talking about. So a small air vehicle. Brakes, the whole system is, the whole system is pressurized with air. That releases the brakes on the mm-hmm. cars when you're ready to go. It's mm-hmm. nothing like listening to the sound when uh, that on trains. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. fascinating when you're a kid. But no, that's, oh, yeah. it's a good system now. The air flows like a like a current, and uh, and you want the brakings to uh, when you want to increase your braking, you just release the air pressure, and the br- mechanical brakes come on and start doing their thing. Yeah. So I want to explain this to people because this is really critical to understand, and it was a huge safety increase. Uh, on uh, on trains. So when I read that initial article on Mark Train on the dangers of staying in bed, they, I don't think they had air brakes on the trains yet. So your typical car has what we call hydraulic brakes. Hydraulic means fluid, fluid that you can not really compress. It doesn't it doesn't squish well, and so it's uh, it's brake fluid, hydraulic fluid. You know that pink stuff. So what happens is on a car when you apply the brakes, the fluid is then pushed into the brake cylinder and the brake pads and that applies pressure to your your disc or drum or however your braking system works and by putting pressure on it with your brake pedal that then pressurizes the lines and that moves the, the the calipers and the pads to slow your car down air brakes work exactly the opposite so the air brake so your car brake is off when your engine's off your car brake is off there's no you know other than your your parking brake and your uh, you know your other brake your your emergency brake things like that there's no there's no active braking system that comes on when the engine comes on and when you actually use the brake pedal now with an air brake it's just the opposite the brake is always on the brake is fully on you know when your train's at rest or or your large truck is at rest the brakes are on in order to take the brakes off you have to turn the engine on so actually air brakes work in reverse to hydraulic brakes and the reason they do that, so let me just explain this again. So the air brake, as you pressurize the system, you know, and I'm not sure how the brake pedal works. I guess the, pre- the brake pressure would have to release the air pressure to allow the brakes to, to come back on. So, so an air brakes are always on yeah, that's until the works. air pressure takes them off, right? So how do, how do truck brakes work? Absolutely. Explain that to me. Same way. You have the spring. And, okay. the, and the bellows mm-hmm. is a – the bellows – is receiving air pressure and it works a, a lever that releases the uh, releases the brakes on the truck. So when you re- so when you release the air pressure, the brakes come on because you got a spring that's that's uh, you know that's activated by the right. air pressure. When you relieve the air pressure, right. when you relieve air pressure, the brakes come on. Yes. Right. Okay. And so that's the opposite, which is the opposite of a hydraulic system. Now, in a hydraulic system, if you get a brake hydraulic, hydraulic system, line, yeah, go ahead. Hydraulic system has a static pressure to the cylinders because they can't have air in it. If you got air in it, you got a problem. So that's because air is compressible. Mm-hmm. Right, air is compressible. Liquids are not compressible. So the brakes in an automobile, you always got pressure on there because when you go to take your calipers off, take your pads out, you got to take a, uh, you got to, you got to pry against the piston in order to. Because it, you got just a very, very slight drag on your on your rotor. Well, but the, no, the trains have been working good forever. I mean, here now you, I believe those are terrorists that's derailing those trains. I don't think so. 
Well, I mean, it could be, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I think, I think bad maintenance and uh, uh, and uh, faulty railroad tracks are the real cause of it. In fact, I got an article that says pretty much that too. So let me talk about. Let's, let's, I want to really make the distinction between hydraulic and air brakes for those, because this is really key to understanding how they work. So, in a car, when you get a when your hydraulic line leaks, your brakes leak or your brake fluid is low, you have no brake pressure. Okay, so the brake system when it fails in a car because you don't have brake lines, you don't have pressure, you can't stop. Now, in an air brake system, if the brake system fails and the air pressure goes away, the brakes come on. You can't go. <laughs> so, so the safety factor of an air brake system is you cannot go if the brake system doesn't work. But in a hydraulic system, you cannot stop if the brake system doesn't work. That's right. You can't stop hydraulically, but they do have a mechanical emergency brake, which is yeah, your okay. But uh, let's just talk about brakes to brakes. So in an air brake system, the brakes are on when it's at rest. You have to pressurize the system, and the spring has to take the pressure off the brakes in order for you to go. So when you get a leak in the line, or if you get a problem with the, the air, or anything that happens to, with the air pressure in your system, the brakes come on. So it's safer to stop than to go. So if your brake system completely fails with air brakes, you're going to stop. If your brake system completely fails under hydraulic in your car, you're going to run into something. That's the difference. That's what I wanted to make clear. So then the question is, how do they do it? It looks like this article was saying that the older system is the brakes come on sequentially, you know, in different cars, whereas electronically they're done all at the same time. So what, what do you make of that? Well, when you, have a, when you have a car sitting there not being worked, how are you going to apply electric power to it? Plug it into a wall socket? Electric cars are a different thing. I don't know how. What do electric cars have hydraulics? No, the electric. No, this is what I'm saying. If they say okay. they want to have electric application of your brakes on the train, well, when right. the train is cars are sitting there in the yard not doing anything, so what are you going to do? Plug a extension cord into a wall socket in order to actuate the electric brakes? Would they be electric air brakes or not? I'm not sure. You don't know. No, it ain't going to be an electric air brake. You don't have no locomotive hook to it. The locomotive oh. has the air pressure. Oh, this is interesting. Okay, now you're in an area I know nothing about. about. This is the craziest idea, man. And they, sell uh-huh. you, they will sell you snake bike medicine for those. You know what I'm going to tell you? I always said we would still be using rotary phones if people didn't know better. <laughs> okay. I think I got a duplicate article here. Yeah, no kidding, Greg. I mean, it's just. No, I agree with you. Yeah. It's just, it's just amazing that uh, the things that they can get away with today, with uh, unsuspected, unknowledgeable people that we have in society. Yep. Yep. No, I agree. No, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling up, seeing if I can get uh, a different and, take on these trade breaks. Rails are not breaks tied down. You know, rails are not tied down. What the spikes does the spikes just uh, you, the spikes is nailed to the ties, right? And the railroad ties they call them sleepers, and uh, they just hold it so it don't move in and you know left and right laterally. They don't move laterally; it just holds the track. That rail is very heavy. That rail will sit there. It, it may be tied down in a couple of places every other now and then, but it's not rigidly tied down because. The sleeper, which is the tie, and sometimes they use the, the wooden tie. Sometimes they use uh, concrete sleepers. They just sitting there on the ground, and they got 
uh, rocks packed around them, basically. Mm-hmm. They, no, called yeah. Yeah, they, call it, they called it a rock ballast. Yeah. Yeah, they called it a rock ballast. Okay. Yeah, they called it a rock ballast. B-A-L-A-S-T. Right. Huh. So, uh, well, so look, I no, this is this is interesting. I gotta look more into this. Now, the, but here's what I found though: that European trains, and I remember this because when I went to Europe, I noticed this that all the train tracks have two spikes. So those plates, those plates that uh, that the rail rests on, that connect the uh, the rail to the tie, though they have spaces for two spikes. American trains have one spike that I've observed, and European trains have two spikes. Now, why would they do that? No, American trains, actually, those those guys, you can put four spikes in them. And see, here's the thing. They don't use well, one John on each side. Henry. It's one on each side is what I, what I see. Okay, so let's say two spikes, but Why European trains have only four spikes. Side. Yeah. But we we so only have half the number of spikes. Well, the spikes just keep it from moving laterally. But the thing is, nowadays, they don't use John Henry to drive spikes. They use machines that drive spikes and they do it very efficiently. Well, I would hope so. They go right on down the line. I've seen those huh? spike hammers. They're like really narrow. How could you even hit a, I would miss, you know, what, nine out of 10 times. I'd miss the spike completely with those, those ridiculous hammers. Did you, you know who wider. John Henry was? Yeah, he was the uh, railroad guy. Well, will you tell me, give me, give me the, 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 the full description. John Henry was a steel driving man. That's, he was sort of like a folk legend. And That's what I th- when they okay. came out with the mechanical means of driving spikes, and John Henry was on one track, and the oh, machine okay. was on the other, and they raced. And actually, John Henry beat the machine, but he died that night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like, and that was my question. How long can the human go? They did a, a similar story. They did a race between a, a horse and a camel. And those that were horse fans wanted to prove that the horse was faster. Well, the horse was faster than the camel over a hundred mile race. Uh, then it promptly died at the end of the race. Uh, the camel, you know, after a decent night's sleep, got up and ran back in almost the same amount of time. You know, so yeah. Yeah. Or a 20 mile, you know, 20 mile race, whatever it was. Camels are slower than horses by a little bit, but they can keep going day after day. They're like the ever-ready bunny of transportation. But rail, you know, that's the thing. Machines, you know, they don't get tired. They might run out of fuel. You know, eventually they'll wear out. The rails weigh about 90 pounds a foot. Those rails are long and heavy. And they just basically sit there. That's all they needed. And the train just come down the track and roll right over. Hmm. And uh, always the car ahead is going to hold the track down for the car behind and so on, so on, so on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm not sure how this works. I, it just seems to me that uh, they don't have enough. There's not enough fasteners. <laughs> there's not enough spikes holding these trains down. And the fact that concrete should be used rather than uh, the uh, wood. Uh, let me see if I can find that article that had that. I've got several of these up here, so we're gonna we're gonna move on from this one. The thing that other, uh, here's the one thing from the Cincinnati Enquirer was talking about the fact that the government said they had to uh, burn uh, the toxic. Uh, uh, chemicals to prevent them from being exploding. <laughs> but it seems to me that burn w- would have had the same effect, whether they exploded or they, they burned in this so-called controlled burn. The effect is still the same. They burn the chemicals, they get into the atmosphere, and they got into the groundwater, and they got in, in people's homes and killed their animals, and they're going to kill them at some point too. Um, what's the difference you know, between an explosion and this? What they should have done was pump the damn chemicals out and take them to a hazardous materials treatment plant. That's what they make people do with their oil from their cars. 
Well, yeah, they dropping off a gas station. I would have thought that there was any car, if there was any cars that was uh, intact with the yeah. material inside. Yes, that would have been the logical thing to do was to remove it that way. Of course, I don't know exactly what chemical that was in there. Well, whatever chemical sure, what that should have been removed. That's the part that I yeah, don't that understand. That would have been the practical thing. You brought some tankers in and pumped it over to the tankers. Yeah. Now, do you know if trains, if if tanker cars on trains are double? Uh, I don't. Know, these they call double hulled for ships. I went over that early. I don't. They're think not. They are. Okay. All right. So I never did finish that no. story. So there I was in California. Barbara Box is the center at the time. And I'm walking by and she's holding a hearing. And it's an open, open to the public, actually, but there wasn't a lot of public there on whether ships, tanker, shipping tankers should be double hulled. Uh, so if they have a collision and you have a rupture in the outer hull, you're not going to rupture the inner hull. You're not going to have a massive oil spill of, you know, millions of gallons of oil because these tankers, the super tankers just are huge. And so uh, everybody walks mm-hmm. in. I represent this environmental group, and I represent that environmental group. So I walk in. I thought, oh, let, me, let me make a public comment. So I'm about 20-something at the time, 28, 29, whatever it was. A young guy, right? So I walk into this hearing, and I got up to the microphone and I said, I'm Greg Pengelson. I, I don't represent anybody. I'm just here walking off the street. Here's what I think. And, of course, everybody stopped, right? Everybody stopped and looks. You know, Barbara Boxer, the senator, he looks at me and goes, oh, well, this is interesting. This is how I got to meet the, you know, one of my senators. Uh, but I said, this makes sense. But uh, And I forgot exactly what, what my comment was, but I do remember very clearly saying, uh, I don't represent anybody. And because I wasn't a part of some affiliated group, they actually listened. You know, here I am, John Q. Public off the street. And I said, the double health makes sense. I said, why would you transport this oil that way? But I said, but why don't you think, I probably said something like, or I, I, I hope I said something like, what about pipelines? Those are safer still, you know, or, or you know, all kinds of other things. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I testified in favor of the double hull tanker. And these trains should definitely have, you know, double hulled, uh, you know, uh, tanker cars, just like nuclear plants have containment. What is it, 10 feet of concrete? How thick are those containment vessels on a, on a nuclear plant? It's really thick. So we don't have a Chernobyl. Well, the concrete, they, they're made out of concrete, but uh, all tankers is not used to haul. Uh, hazardous materials. They use the whole. Well, yeah, you don't. Yeah, you don't need a milk one doing. You know, <laughs> if, if, if you, you, you know, know who a lot of the, tank, the, the railroad tanks. You know, the person that owns a lot of the uh, railroad tanks. I don't know. Tanker cars. I think it's Buffett. Warren I think Buffett? he bought them up during the time. Yeah, I think he bought them up during the time when the fracking was going on in one of the Dakotas. Remember that. Well, I know Frank is had back under, under Brandon. Yeah, I think he bought them up. But he had a lot of farmers was complaining they couldn't find any, you know, uh, cars to haul their their wheat because he had bought them all. Oh, interesting. Huh. Well, here's another article. This is from The Defender, and this is Children's Health Defense. This is Robert Francis Kennedy, uh, who's a Democrat. You know, so this is going to be a more of a liberal article, but uh, this is going to be a, a great uh, topic to, to talk about in terms of liberal and conservative in terms of the response. So the liberals are blaming the conservatives, saying, well, your regulations weren't strict enough. And, of course, the conservatives come back and say, well, your regulations are stupid. They're designed to, uh, you know, they're, they're pro they're, they're big union, they're at the expense of uh, the consumer and everything else. So it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. So this article from Democracy Now!, which I've have not read, but I guarantee that's that's a liberal news source. But let's, let's see what they say. They say fears yeah, of a wider health. I hate it. What's, 
defend def- uh, democracy now? Hate, yeah. Well, let's, let's, well, let's find out why we hate them. Let's, let's, it's always good to look into these things. It says fears of a wider health and environmental disaster are growing. After a 150-car freight train operated by Norfolk Southern derailed and a so-called controlled burn released toxic chemicals last week in East Palestine. Well, see, the problem is that the reason they had that so-called controlled burn, which didn't look all that controlled to me, that was a government plan. So is the liberal the EPA, democracy, yeah. yeah. So is the liberal democracy now going to put blame on the government for screwing up? So rather than pumping out the cars, you know, you got you got a bunch of people who thought you got the Ohio EPA, they screwed up. You got the federal EPA, they screwed up. You've got two Ohio senators. Looks like they screwed up. They didn't demand that this stuff be pumped out. Well, You've got it, Governor DeWine. He screwed up. Nobody demand, I can't see anybody that demanded this stuff be pumped well, read out. The, read that line again. Read that Which line one? again. Okay, fears of, a wide, all right, fears of a wider health and environmental disaster, which I agree is going to happen. It already is, are growing after a 150-car mm-hmm. freight train operated by Norfolk Southern derailed and a right so-called there. derailed. Hold Norfolk Southern right derailed? Operated by who? Norfolk Southern, N-O-R-F-O-L-K. There's the, now that's how the media casts the blame. Okay. They well, cast the blame. Talk- Instead of, see, see, they talked about the Norfolk and Rofa was a railroad, owned a railroad car. Right. But the burning was by who? It was by the government. It was EPA. by the government. Yeah. Let and that's, to, how they, uh, that's how they screw up the minds of people. Yeah. Well, now, if the corporations had – well, see, see uh, regulation works both ways. There's good regulation and bad regulation. Good regulation is where you hold companies accountable so they do incredibly stupid things and, and cause disasters like this unnecessarily. Accidents do happen. I understand that. But what I'm saying is a lot of things can be preventable uh, or can be prevented by some basic regulation because a lot of corporations with no regulation would be completely criminally negligent. And that's what happened way back in Lacey Fair in the early 1900s. Look at the working conditions in the textile mills and the mines and things like that. Look at the company towns. When corporations have no control whatsoever, they become disgusting. However, well, the know, opposite extreme, the, look at the opposite extreme, is complete overregulation. Mm-hmm. And then you have controlled industries, yeah, you have government industries, that's fascism. That's fascism. You know, you know, you know what the ahead. procedure is in a case like this? Uh-huh. So you can put the fire out. Mm-hmm. Okay, they could have came in and pumped out the tankers that didn't have any harm to them, but was, you know, in a precarious position. Mm-hmm. All right, they bring in another company, the damaged cars would be shredded on the spot. Mm-hmm. They have machines now that eat those cars up just like crackers. Mm-hmm. And then they would repair the track and do the cleanup. And everybody mm-hmm. be back on their merry way. Yeah. The first thing they should have done is evacuated a 50-mile area. First thing. You know, kick all of the illegal aliens out of the hotels and put up American citizens. First thing. Get people now, away from it. I don't know if Second the derailment thing? caused the fire. Or no. was it the intention of burning that caused the smoke, the fire? You know where there's smoke, there's fire, right? Yeah, I've got to keep. I've got some articles here. We're going to kind of work our way through that. Um, but that's that's the question. So what had happened? Apparently, there was an axle problem, and that's what caused the derailment. Now, if that axle problem had a bunch of sparks, and you got metal on metal, so the chance of sparks is huge. And how how flammable yeah, is vinyl chloride? Is is vinyl chloride naturally flammable? See, we don't know that. 
Yeah, but you have sparks that you're going to have in it all the time when the train's right. running. The thing is, is once the material is open, mm-hmm. it's like taking the top off of a gasoline can <clears throat> that's mm-hmm. been sitting out in the sun. Okay, then the spark comes along and ignites the product. Right. So did they but, set the fire once everything was spilled and they came up with this idea of burning it off and let it expand to the atmosphere? So that's the question. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's definitely uh, the, the whole, there's no logic here whatsoever. You know, like I said, if my plan would have been evacuate the area, seal it off. That's the first thing you do. You protect the people, you get them out of there. Take their animals too. <laughs> you know, so right. you, you take the people and the animals out. All right. The next thing you do uh, once you've contained this is you go in and you take the chemicals out. You know, people send the guys in with the hazmat suits and the, the, the pumps and things like that. You remove all the hazardous chemicals. Then you remove the non-hazardous chemicals. And then, you know, you, you take apart the cars like you're saying. I didn't know about that, but that's a great thing to do. So you get rid of the cars themselves because they're going to have, you know, they're, they're obviously a problem too. They're damaged. You can't use them again. And then you repair the tracks and then you get things back to normal. And then you bring the people back. And that would have been the logical sequence. But the idea of, of burning, of just setting the, the dangerous chemicals on fire, that's the worst thing they could have done. You know, like you say, this stuff might not have caught fire at all. Let me talk about liability for a bit. So I want to I get your opinion on this. We'll get into our theoretical realm here. So the title of the show today, at least Mussolini could make the trains run on time. And the reason I made that title is because Mussolini was a fascist dictator who killed, I don't know how many, hundreds of thousands of his own people, you know, through socialism and fascism. But they said, the joke is that uh, he was a dictator, but he made the trains run on time. So if you apply that today, you know, are the trains running on time? No. So the socialism of our country compared to the socialism of national socialist Nazi Germany, uh, fascist socialist, you know, um, Italy or communist Russia, the one thing that all these governments have in common is that they don't have any liability. And I was thinking about this this morning, right before the show, this idea, you know, God drops this idea right into my head and says that liability really is the key to freedom. So one of our biggest problems is that the government doesn't have any liability. You know, the police don't have, uh, and the police shouldn't have liability for, for just everyday decisions. Otherwise, they'd be sued constantly. But when, some, when the government screws up this much, you know, there's got to be a way to hold them personally accountable. Somebody has to be held accountable. If, this, if the private company went in and blew up their own railroad cars to save money, then I'll be in jail. You know, I mean, the pollution fines alone would probably bankrupt them, both corporate and as individuals. But because the government did it, there's no liability. So freedom... If you're going to live in a free country, you have to have liability, and you have to liability on government. You look at any problem we have right now. The problem with big tech, no liability. They're not responsible for censoring you. They've got immunity. The problem with vaccines, no liability. <laughs> you, know, you look at uh, transportation. What's the problem with transportation? No liability. <laughs> the government takes over, does what they want. You, know, you can look at anything, um, any problem we have right now, and, and it really a lot of it comes down to not having proper liability laws so people can take individual action. Environmental protection. Do you need a ton of environmental regulations? No. You just need liability. If companies can be sued well, you know, one for what they, they do. Problem. Go ahead. And I have to say it like this. You got people who don't know what the hell they're doing anyway. Where in the hell do Buddhists get experienced about transportation? Well, no, he's married to a dude. It's okay. See, that's, that's his qualification. You know, so you look at you look at the the idiocracy. You've got you've got somebody you know at the top, you know, impersonating a president with two brain aneurysms. He's going for his physical today. I bet he doesn't get a cognitive test. Betcha, betcha. So 
you've got someone who's in, incapable of being president for a bunch of reasons. One, he wasn't elected. Two, he's not fit for the office anyway. And he's going for a physical? Oh, that's going to be interesting. But you look all the way down the line. The only requirement to be in the, uh, in the insurrection, in the coup, is that you're either at or lower than intelligence of the person at the top. It's the idiocracy. So Buttigieg is there because it's he married to do. Congress people. Judge Jackson is there because just somebody. Go ahead. A congressperson was just old plain Joe the day before, and now mm-hmm. he or she is congressperson. Well, they don't know what they're doing in many cases of the time. Now, you mm-hmm. do have some there that comes mm-hmm. out of industry, of business, mm-hmm. like Donald Trump and others, that's pretty astute in the things that they're doing. But others in these agencies, like OSHA, we used to have mm-hmm. OSHA, uh, we put up a building and, and the steel framework and said, well, I need to look at that. Mm-hmm. Well, you're looking at it. Well, I need to look at it closer. Well, go up there and look at it. We're not going <laughs> to bring the building down to you. Yep. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, it's it's fast, but again, um, governments aren't liable. We need to make government liable. This is like a whole branch of law that we haven't even looked into yet. I got a Chicago Tribune article that came out a few years ago, and this is something that we can talk about. Railroads get on track with concrete ties. This seems to me a logical thing to do for our infrastructure. I was talking about infrastructure. That, that doesn't mean higher LGBTQ, ABC, DEF, you know, PMS, whatever the the acronyms are. Oh, come on, guys. Get rid of the ad. There we go. So Chicago Tribune from March 5th, 1989, by Bob Wiedrich, W-I-E-D-R-I-C-H, Chicago Tribune, said railroads get on track with concrete ties. This makes sense to me to replace the ties. Uh, this is from Overland Park. Our modern world is catching up with the wooden railroad tie, that sticky, smelly, splintery hunk of log that helped develop the continent. What's going to replace it? Let's put it like this. Abraham Lincoln would have needed a sledgehammer, not an axe to split it. Concrete ties, actually something of a throw to the old stone supports used 170 years ago, are being installed by several major carriers. Modern freight trains have just gotten too heavy. Uh, let me see if I can uh, put an ad in the middle of my article here. Uh, too heavy concrete rails prove liable and economical. Truck damage and the tip ties said they are expected to last longer and deliver better service in the areas you're breaking up pretty bad what's going on today um start again how's the sound right now i think when i move it it might be breaking up a little gain down a bit too articles out there, many articles. Sometimes that causes breakups. Let me just read this section and then I'll move it. Concrete ties actually something of throwback to old stone supports used 170 years ago are being installed by several major carriers. Modern freight trains have just gotten too heavy. Concrete rails are reliable and economical, avoiding track damage that typically results from the increased tonnage of modern freight trains. Several American railroads now putting down concrete ties said they are expected to last longer in areas of steep grades and curved track. In the 1920s, European railroads began experimenting with concrete ties to counter a shortage of timber that had plagued them since the turn of the century. Yeah, Europe burned up all their forests. In the years after World War II, most of the Western European countries began extensively using concrete You probably have cut off. You got a big problem. <laughs> 
All right. Let's get rid of some articles. Let's get rid of that. I'm going to take this whole set. I'll, I'll look them up. Let's, how does Good, bad, not so good, I not heard so bad. The word how. I heard the word how. <laughs> how much RAM you got, right, how how much RAM you got on this computer? Well, I don't know. I, I probably well, need I to restart do. it. How's it sound now? I've gotten rid of a, of like eight articles. How are we sounding now? That sounds better. All right. Let's, uh, I want to keep that one. Do, do you remember hearing the show before you came on? How did it sound then? Well, I was listening to it on the Internet. It was Okay. Yeah, it was sort of okay. Sort of okay. Yeah, all right, too many articles. All right. Well, I had a bunch of stuff I wanted to go over. I've, I've collected all these articles. Well, I had, you know, whenever I have two hours to talk, I need to have enough stuff, material, just in case. And so I played my uh, WEBY article to, yesterday. You, have, you have to increase the RAM on your computer. How do you, you do that? You can't be running with eight, eight, eight gigs. You need about 128 gigs. How do I do that? Do I need an upgrade, a new computer, or just an attachment to it or what? You need to upgrade your memory, yeah. You need to upgrade your memory. You need to put in some, some RAM, random access memory parts. Hmm. And also, you know, the latest, you're trying to read those articles like that. Multiple yeah. pages, it takes a long time for them to buffer. And the more and more you have up there, that's where your memory is being expected. Extend it. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought if I put uh, some articles on the same, you know, browser window, I used to have them all separate. That was causing problems. So I grouped a few of them together, but it seems like that causes problems too. Because by the time I get to them, yeah. All right. So I'll listen to the show. And hopefully, it's not too bad. Um, I just have to bring, you know, four articles maximum, <laughs> something like that, you know, to a but show. But you know, on those concrete, on those concrete ties, they call them sleepers. Mm-hmm. That's what they call them, sleepers. That's- mm-hmm. And really, there's some falsehood in that too, because the 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 ties are just sitting there on rocks, a real mm-hmm. coarse rock, and the rock gives. It's like a spring. Matter of fact, if you ever stand by a train track when the train is rolling over the track, and you mm-hmm. look at if you look oh, at one now. the tie, there's one now. Yeah, <laughs> eight thirty. If you look at the ties, and when the cars run over, it goes down a little bit and comes back up. Goes down a little bit, comes back up. It gives, and uh, that's how the ties last so long. They're not being pounded; they're just actually going with the flow. Oh, that's in the design. See, I thought that was a flaw. I thought that was a weakness in the system. I thought they should be rigid, but you're saying that's not the case. No, it can't be rigid because some cars will beat the heck out of them. And the same thing will be with concrete, too. Concrete ties. Concrete is good in, in compression, but it's not good in, in tensile. It, when if you right. try to bend it, it breaks off like a, uh, like a piece of toast. Mm-hmm. So wooden ties would be so better in that respect? Can, I think, you know, from my standpoint, if you want to go to the modern entity, but I think wood ties does just perfectly have been there forever. Going okay. back to the old steam locomotive. So where are the problems? Your braking system a lot better. 
your braking system was a lot better than what they used to be, where you had a brakeman on top of the cars, running from car to car, applying the brake on each one a gradual amount at a time until the whole thing comes to a final stop. And, you know, the, the electric locomotives, locomotives are ran by electric motors, and the diesel engine operates a generator. And, you know, uh, electric motors themselves act as a braking system. Mm-hmm. Rather than if you had any, the old, like it used to be back in the old days with steam locomotives. Hmm. Yeah, I want to go to a magnet system. <laughs> have you seen the magnet trains where they actually reverse the polarity? And so they, uh, you and have. That's, what you, they do. that's basically what they do with what they got now. Is uh, you get a braking action <laughs> in those electric motors, and it works pretty damn well. <clears throat> you know, coming out of the West Coast, there's one passage there. I don't know exactly where it is, mm-hmm. exactly down the hill. And that's why you have to have, in some cases, you have to have more one locomotive in order to, you know, basically hold a static braking on those cars. If not, they they get away from you and everything would happen. Yeah. Hmm. Coming out of the mountains, and even going up into the mountains, you have to have extra locomotives. Well, if it gets too steep, they have to have a chain drive. You know, you look at some of those Swiss trains. You know, I think they probably have some here in the United States, too. That, they uh, have anything like that in the U.S. Well, but the the train, the way they operate is pretty damn efficient. Uh-huh. Now, politicians want to get in there and mess things up. By golly, they will mess things up. And next thing yeah. you know that your freight costs will be double, the cost of consumables will double, and so on and so on and so on. You know, one of the biggest mistakes I think the, the government made was, was, was Amtrak. When we had private train companies, they were beautiful. You know, the, the Kansas Sky Chief or whatever it was called and some of these other, other rail lines across the country. Now I've traveled the whole country by train. I started in San Francisco, and I came back about two months later. You know, up I went up to Oregon and Seattle, and across to Chicago, and over to Boston, Washington. You know, down through down to New Orleans, and all the way to Los Angeles, and then came back up again. Various stops along the way. Loved it. Fabulous trip. You know no why you came up with Amtrak, don't you? Uh, no, I don't. Because passenger travel on trains was down near dead. Nobody wanted to do it. They they went. Yeah, they're all uh, flying. They rode cars, automobiles. So the government didn't want to see it die completely, so they took control of it. Hmm. Well, it's time to put it back in private hands. See, I think trains are a great way to travel. Now, I, I don't know if people just don't take them because they don't have experience with them, but you travel, especially in the western part of the country, by train. You know, the eastern part, you've got the, the tunnels are too low. They don't have the double-deckers. But you, you go out west with the superliners, those double-deck trains are beautiful. They are wonderful to travel in. Well, yeah, yeah that's an Amtrak. And, and mm-hmm. another thing they brought into is this mind is commuter airlines, like mm-hmm. Southwest. Fifty dollars, mm-hmm. you can go from St. Louis to Chicago. You can't do that on a train. Well, here's a question too: with with the amount of delays in air travel, with uh, the 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 mechanical delays, the the maintenance delays, the scheduling delays, the computer glitches that Southwest had, all the security you have to go through, and everything else like that. Are, are trains a more viable option for passengers than they were, you know, 10 years ago? No. No. Trains are good for one thing nowadays, and that's hauling freight. 
you can haul a lot of freight on the train. Matter of fact, the cost per mile is, is about as cheap as you can get. You're talking about pennies mm-hmm. per pound, per mile. Oh, yeah. That's why coal travels by train, uh, grain travels by train. You know, those big grain elevators are built right on railroad tracks. You know, most mm-hmm. major industries are built on railroad tracks. You know, I'm sure the car companies have railroad tracks that lead directly to their major markets. So they have the, you have the car train. They have so they railroad ship tracks. The models. Then they, have, hmm? then they have spurs that will lead right up to the manufacturer's door. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Even Ghirardelli Chocolates in, in uh, Oakland, California, actually San Leandro, has train, has train tracks. <laughs> they lead right to uh, the port of Oakland. You know, they're not mm-hmm. stupid. So, so rail lines, in fact, the infrastructure is designed so that ships, you know, in the terminals, that's why containers are such a fabulous way to transport things because you have a ship, a container ship comes in, these big cranes can offload. Those guys make six figure plus incomes. They make a huge amount of money uh, depending on how efficient they are at unloading those containers. So the containers can be put directly on trucks and directly on trains. So they come off the ship. They're, they're, they go for they're supposed to go. It's kind of like the post office sorting. So the container goes onto a truck or goes onto a train, and off they go. So we have an amazing transportation well, system, but we're not using it properly. It's been the supply lines are being screwed up. Those you uh, know, train yards, those train uh-huh. yards in Los Angeles, those are automated. In other words, a person sits hmm. at a desk and he computer, and those. Uh, those rails uh, have a, a locking, a squeezing mechanism that, that stops the cars and they let the cars go and then have the switch and they make up these They don't do it like they used to do in the old days where they had a local motor hmm. that would push them. Interesting. Yeah, I'm just wondering how much you can automate stuff. Um, you know, like these trains, like the freight train only had three crew. So I guess it'd be an engineer... I don't know. I mean, where do the you don't have a caboose anymore? <laughs> you don't they have somebody should. in the back they, of the train. They, yeah, they go from one. You know, depends on how long where they live. Mm-hmm. And you uh, start off in one place, and you go to another. Another crew takes it on because in the direction that it's going is where that crew lives. Mm-hmm. So it's just back and forth like that. Yep. Yeah, be interesting. I've talked to rail workers, and I think. This accident was just an accident. That's all it was. And if you let the politicians get their ignorance involved in it, then it's going to screw up everything. They just sit around and wait for something to happen, like the Maytag. (laughs) Oh, you may take a break out, yeah. All right, so given given that fact, given that, um, that accidents do happen, um, how do we prevent them? You know, when they have airplane accidents, they look into all kinds of things, airworthiness directives, you know, different part requirements, things like that. What do they do for trains? You know, if this was an axle problem, uh, I remember an article that I had to get rid of to, to, keep, the show, to keep the show going, uh, was talking about that the big problems are either the railroad tracks themselves or they're with the trains themselves. Those are, obviously, those are the two places that are problems, or maybe the crew. That, was that a third uh, thing? And then we could have government as a fourth thing. But if the problem's in the tracks, we've got to look to, like we were talking about, the rails, the ties, the, the, uh, the, uh, the fasteners, the, that kind of stuff. Um, if, we're, if it's the train itself, we have to look into the brake system, the axles, the maintenance. You know, are they maintaining these enough? Are there cracks in the axles that uh, maybe they're not checking uh, enough times or often enough 
to detect problems with the axles. And maybe that's what's causing derailments. You know, the, the track gauge itself. I mean, do they, do they check the gauge periodically, you know, to make sure that the tracks are the same width? <laughs> I mean, do they expand? Do they move? I don't know. You know, I mean, there's just a lot of things that could be checked on the trains. Trains, because they got a lot of weight, well, just, and they're going very fast. You just had an accident. That's what's that? A piece yeah. of parts wear out. You don't know when they're going to wear out okay. uh, unexpectedly, and it was just an accident. Nobody's, uh, unless you had someone in, who intentionally uh, done something to a rail or put something to a rail to cause a car to come off, right. then it was just an accident. You know, trains can only go so fast, and you have monitors at the train mm-hmm. yard that can audibly warn the the uh, engineer, or they can take control over and slow it down themselves. Well, I was reading an article that there was a warning that came that there was a problem uh, a few minutes before the, the, it derailed. So again, that's I, I got rid of some articles, and I, you know, I, <laughs> I probably could find it, you know, but uh, that's one of those things I was reading about. And I'll, I'll look more into that specific problem, but they said that there, there was an alert and they either didn't heed it, <laughs> didn't react to it, didn't do anything about it, or they just let it go that, uh, that there, was an, there was a problem with one of their cars. And then a few minutes later, they had the derailment. So maybe, the, maybe they didn't look at their warning system. That would be, a, that would be you know, pilot error, as they say. So that would be crew error. They screwed up. They should have slowed the train yeah, down. It depends on how fast the train was going. If the train was going at normal speed, it takes a mile to stop it. At least. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that. But if you get an indication of a problem, wouldn't you slow down and investigate? Well, they can – at the rail yard, I guess you can call it the command post, they have the ability to slow those trains down and bring them to a stop uh, mm-hmm. remotely. So what I'm saying is this, is that this is some more hype. Now, it's unfortunate that people – went through the problems, that the troubles that they went through. There's mm-hmm. going to be some repercussions of liability. Yes, it is. But some of the things that I'm hearing that's coming out of these political uh, voices is a bunch of crap. I mean, let's go that. back to the balloon. Let's mm-hmm. go back to the balloon. Why did okay. you shoot the balloon down over, over, the, over the ocean? That's not U.S. airspace. It's not going to harm anything. Balloons pass across the ocean all the time. It's politics. Yeah. So, well, see, we didn't even know if it was a Chinese balloon. We don't know anything about the balloon because they, they shot it down. I mean, like I say, our, my thing would have been, you know, put a laser hole through it or fire one round through it and bring it down gradually uh, or find out where it came from. Well, if, yeah. it's over, if it's over international water, why are you shooting down somebody else's balloon anyway? Well, it's just like a dog. If, mm-hmm. if your neighbor's dog get over on your, over on your yard and start crapping, do you shoot him? Hmm. <laughs> No, you go talk to the neighbor and get restitution. You go talk to the neighbor and see what they can do to confine the dog. Yeah. So, and there, you know, there's a website that shows uh, wind currents all around the world. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the wind currents as they were yesterday, now I don't know what day that these balloons got loose or whatever, but the wind currents are not conducive to fit the narrative that they gave. That somebody in China let a balloon go up into the air at that altitude, and then all of a sudden it hit it this way. They just mm-hmm. don't travel that way. Yeah, we talked about that too. We talked about that. That uh, in fact, I had the wind charts out the next day that um, that they were not um, 
there's no way they could get there. The low, the, the, at the time of the, uh, the balloon incident, as we say, uh, the low pressure area was over Quebec. So all the air was moving to Quebec. All, all the, the jet stream air, the flow was from Alaska down through uh, the top of the United States, the Canadian border, and then back up to Quebec. That's where the, the, the biggest low pressure area was. The highest pressure was down here in the south. <laughs> so there's no way the balloon could flow by itself to, to South Carolina because we had a huge high pressure area centered, I think, over Cuba. But it's still, it's still and you know why the high pressure area exists? Because the sun is starting, I'm sorry, the earth is okay. starting to tilt, which brings the sun back up into the northern latitude. And ahead of the sun, they're pushing air mm-hmm. up north. Mm-hmm. Well, see, the low pressure is where air is rising. High pressure is where air is falling. And we know this cyclonic and, and uh, anticyclonic movement. So we have cyclonic movement up north, which means the air moves, you know, like a hurricane. <laughs> it, it goes, you know, up the east side, down the west side. That, that's how it turns. And so the air would be directed up into the low pressure area, you know, on the right side of it, on the eastern side of Canada, of Quebec. That's where the, that's where the flow of air was, the predominant flow of air. You know, and the jet stream would have blocked it, too, well, it depending on the down, thing. It wasn't mm-hmm. flowing. It wasn't flowing down along the West Coast, according to the air charts. I mean, in the air, and you know, by the way, the air charts are animated. In other words, they're moving as uh-huh. it is in real life. So you can sit there on your home computer and look and see what's going on, just like with the earthquakes that's occurring mm-hmm. around the world. You had 34 earthquakes that occurred on the Earth Valentine's Day in different places around the world. I mean, it's a natural occurrence. Earth is alive. Well, that's what we talked about. But again, it comes back to, isn't it interesting that it comes back to government? Because the problem with the Ohio train, I don't think anybody died in, in the derailment. I mean, yeah, they lost a bunch of cars, and the train obviously stopped. But I don't think anybody was killed. No, the train crew weren't hurt. The, uh, the, the people don't live close enough to the tracks to be hurt by the actual derailment. What caused all the problems was the government deciding to burn up rather than uh, encapsulate uh, the the uh, toxic chemicals. If you look at Turkey, what was the problem with Turkey? The problem with Turkey was the earthquake codes. Government allowed thousands of buildings to to still stay up, you know, rather than uh, retrofit them for earthquakes after 2000 when they had a big earthquake in 1999. So the new buildings after 1999, in other words, 2000 when the earthquake code came in, those buildings were fine, but the older buildings. That's where everybody died, and they've lost, what, 40,000 people now? Some ridiculous number? That's a government, that's well, a regulation I problem. About, I can't tell you about Turkey, but uh, I can tell you about the United States. <clears throat> and uh, they learned after things happened. They started retrofitting uh, concrete overpasses where the beams sit at the piers. Mm-hmm. They have it where the beams are attached to the piers, so if one end fell off or if it uh, if the flap breaks in the middle, the one end was continuing to stay up there on the pier. Right. And they also reinforced the top of the piers with uh, sleeves. So, yeah, they've done a lot of retrofit. Uh, would it mm-hmm. be totally safe if you have, you know, God forbid, you had a uh, magnitude of an eight? I don't think so. But, uh, you know, what are you going to do? You can take the strongest man in the world. And if he's standing on firm ground, you can't do nothing with him. But take the ground from underneath him, and a midget can throw him over. <laughs> well, 
Well, yeah, that's why the buildings in San Francisco, where they had the reclaimed land, where they actually extended out into uh, San Francisco Bay, and they just filled it in with sand. You know, that's where all of the buildings collapsed because they were built on sand. Most of the city's on granite. So the parts of the city on granite were fine. You know, and uh, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, the Ghirardelli Chocolate Factory. If you go to San Francisco, not the one that's the, the modern factory that actually makes the chocolate, but the old one at Fisherman's Wharf, the big old red brick building. Well, brick buildings are notoriously bad in earthquakes because they're too rigid. They don't have any give to it, like you are telling me about the tracks earlier, which is really interesting, actually. Um, but what they did was they put these enormous steel rods through it, and you can see them. It's like every 10 or 15 feet, there's a massive steel rod going through the Ghirardelli Chocolate Factory. That's how it did fine, you know, during the 89 earthquake. You know, the other buildings had problems, but not the Ghirardelli Chocolate Factory. It's one of the few brick buildings you know, built on sandy soil that did just fine because they earthquake retrofitted uh, either before or after 1906. I'm not I think it, was, it must have been after. And I'm not sure if the building, was, building might have been built after 1906. It's a newer version of it. Um, but, yeah, but the point is it worked. Transamerica Pyramid rides on yeah. Teflon. Transamerica Pyramid. You look under it, it's got springs and rubber bumpers and Teflon, and that building slides around every day. No problem. Same thing with uh, in Alaska. Mm-hmm. And of course, other parts of the world, mm-hmm. if you try to build a building on permafrost, well, mm-hmm. when the ground falls out, the building is going to sink. And then yeah. your concrete structures are going to crack. So but you have to make provision. Ideally, yeah, but if it's permafrost, ideally, it's not going to thaw out. Well, it does. The top of it does thaw out. It may go down yeah. six feet and you still be froze. But even in Alaska, that's starting to to give away because people used to didn't have freezers. They just dig down the ground and store their food. But now they find out that the ground, you know, at that level where they were storing food and pretty much keeping it frozen, mm-hmm. it's starting to thaw out. So it's just some things you don't do. You don't build your house too close to the damn water line. Mm-hmm. You don't build a house on top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Things can happen. Or next to a volcano. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I will tell in others. See now you're breaking up. And it gets back to the same and you don't build your home in the middle of a forest. Because forest fires do happen. Well that's some of the problems in California. You know what's interesting about California? Um that uh, they they brought all these eucalyptus trees in. Because they thought it would be good for railroad ties. Speaking of railroad ties, so I can relate this. I'm going to take a break for a couple minutes before CJ gets here. But they, they brought in all these eucalyptus trees. And I don't know who made this deal. Somebody made a fortune and totally screwed over California. Um, because what they should have had were redwood trees. But they, I guess they took too long to grow. But a redwood tree is naturally resistant to fires. In fact, it takes the heat of a fire to open up the cone of the redwood tree because they, they're, they're so, so, so slow growing that if they don't get sunlight the first couple of years, they don't, they don't, they don't live. And so they need, and the only way to guarantee sunlight is to have uh, bare ground. The only way to guarantee that is a fire. So when there's been a fire, the heat of the fire opens up the redwood seed cone, the pine cone, uh, and it, uh, that's when they fall on the ground and germinate and make little redwood trees. But they're, and they're a little vulnerable to fire at first, but uh, if they survive that, the bark, you know, those redwood trees, that bark is about a foot thick. And the big ones? Yeah. It protects against and, disease. Forest well, fires disease, is natural. Yeah. But it's also against fires. You look at the base of most older, older redwood trees, and they're black for about the first 10 feet. Why? Because they've been through so many fires. Tree's fine. Tree doesn't care. Yeah. 
It's got a it's got a foot of, of bark insulation that is like asbestos. It's still it's still it, put on you know, more clothes. it burns, but it doesn't go through to the, the living part of the tree. Tree doesn't care. It's like wearing a fire suit. Tree's like, okay, this is cool. You know. So but they didn't mm-hmm. plant redwoods in the in the Oakland Hills and around uh, the Bay Area. They wanted the trains, you know, they wanted wood that would grow fast. One of the fastest growing woods is the Australian eucalyptus tree which is terrible for railroad tribes because it splits too easily, breaks apart. But they didn't know that at the time. So somebody, uh, somebody bought the snake oil. So they planted these eucalyptus trees. And what people and don't know. And you know, know another thing about what, trees? Uh, okay, well, I'll finish the story in a second. Go ahead. When trees detect a fire, it sends all this water that's in the leaves up above back down to the bottom. Well, that's interesting. I believe that. Yeah, plants are much more intelligent than people give them credit for. Anyway. So the eucalyptus trees, the, the sap of a eucalyptus tree, I mean, that's eucalyptus oil, that stuff that, you know, helps you with your colds and things like that. It's incredibly flammable. So when eucalyptus trees catch fire, which they do extremely easily, uh, they explode <laughs> because that it's like, it's like gasoline. So eucalyptus oil is extremely flammable. It's like gasoline. So when we had the Great Oakland Fire, if they had redwood trees in the Oakland Hills, they would have been fine. But because they had eucalyptus trees that exploded, that fire ripped through the Oakland Hills and all those homes were destroyed costing a you know, fortune at home insurance. But um, that's what made it so devastating. That's why some of the reason fires are so dangerous in California is they got the wrong damn trees. They brought in these Australian, you know, flame trees, basically. I agree. Australians know they blow up. I agree. But, but Californians didn't know that when they planted them in the 1800s because they thought it would be good for railroads. Well, oh, well, they made some money off of it. You can look at Oh, yeah. So I made a lot of money. All right. Let me, uh, let me take a break right here and, and play some stuff, and then we'll get uh, CJ. She'll be here in about eight minutes, and then we'll, we'll see what's going on. But uh, let me do all my announcements at this particular time, and we'll be back in a little bit, and we'll talk wellness and uh, maybe train stuff too. Who knows? Uh, I think actually we might be talking about both. But anyway, I'll be right back, as they say. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at strikeforceenergy.com. That's strikeforceenergy.com. Start your engine. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elba Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. <laughs> 
From Addiction to Achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. My Pillow Pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at mypillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's mypillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grace Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gracecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask to the answers no one has thought to consider to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. Okay, so I'm hearing all kinds of problems in the in the recordings, little glitches and bumps here and there. So I've I've gotten rid of all my uh, um, all of my uh, my my articles, <laughs> all my stuff, all my sources, all my things like that. So we've got CJ on the line anyway, so we're just going to kind of wing it uh, as we normally do. But uh, I think I'm going to have to either restart my computer every day or do something with the memory. Um, Pianki said I, should, I need to expand my memory a little bit, so we shall find out about that. But this is the Wellness Watch with, uh, with CJ. So good morning, CJ. What's going on? Good morning. Good morning. I hope everyone is doing well this morning. I'm doing fine. My computer isn't. <laughs> Do you know about computer memory? What's, what's your what's your uh, knowledge in this area? Can I like uh, put in an attachment? Get a 
get it? Does it have to be re-engineered? Do I have to put a, a huge device in it? What do, you know, how do I get more memory? Oh, I am not the person to ask for that. I can barely work two screens at one time. <laughs> okay. Well, I can barely work one. <laughs> so I have I'm one not, here. I'm, I'm, not your, I'm not your girl for that. So, no, that's, you wouldn't be asking Okay. <laughs> Who is my girl for that? i I got to find one. Here we go. I need a computer girl. <laughs> Calling computer girls. There we go. Yeah. But uh, that's uh, – I think what I'll do is, for what I do know about computers, is, is probably reset it or restart it. I know that organizes it better. Yeah. Empty the, the cache, as it were, uh, which I do periodically. Yeah, the cache. And, the cache. Uh, cache. Are you sure it's not cache? C-A, it's a French word. Yeah, I like saying it cache, but whatever. Is there an accent on it? Mm, I'll have to check for the accent. If there's an accent, it would be cache. <laughs> if it's not, it's just cache. Cache. Even right. though there's an extra letter at the end, because every French word has at least one useless letter at the end of the word that you don't pronounce. So that's a true statement. <laughs> yeah. And that's just the way it goes in France. You know, we have the excellent letters. the way we do this. We do those things. Anyway, back to you. So from Patty to CJ. So what's going on, darling? Yes. What's yes. happening in wellness? No, I think, well, you know, I think there's, this week has been, uh, you know, a week already and the last week full of diff- different things happening in this world that, all revolve around the health issues. I know we were going to kind of follow up and elaborate a little bit on what we had talked about prior to um, Valentine's Day, which which is which is fine, you know. And mm-hmm. we certainly can. I can share some more information on that. But there's been so many more things, you know, that have been relevant that have been happening. And I know you have listeners from all over who actually might be impacted by by current events. So I think that that's something that we definitely need to address as far as the action steps that people can take if they have not chosen um, to evacuate certain, certain parts, um, which again is, is the best thing to do in my, in my opinion. So we have a couple of different topics and things mm-hmm. that we can cover today. Well, let's, let's start with the train uh, because that's what we've been talking about all morning. We've covered the, uh, the maintenance. We've covered the tracks. We've covered the, uh, the braking systems. We've covered the government response, which was terrible. We've covered a bunch of different right. things. But let's look at it from the health aspect that if you're in an area, like I have a train track not too far from me, uh, and they do have chemical cars going through, but it happens to be a nice level track. It's pretty stable. People don't live directly on the tracks. Uh, and uh, things have, you know, knock on wood, been pretty good so far. Um, but uh, as we know, accidents happen, stuff happens. And what I don't want is, you know, if it's a bad track or if there's bad maintenance or if there's other things that we need to know about, we need to know about it. But the immediate thing in terms of health is if there is an accident with a, a, a chemical release, whether it's a refinery, a chemical plant, a train, a ship, you know, or any kind of an explosion where there's fumes or even tires when they burn tires, you know, or those, they use tires to hold down grain stuff, any, any kind of poisonous chemical in the air. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the very first thing is knowing signs and symptoms that you're being affected, number one. Number two mm-hmm. is before you even get to that point of being um, physically affected, again, I mean, there are some things like I, what we will talk about, but the bottom line is you should evacuate, regardless of what the government does or does not say, because we know that they do not have your best interest, you know, in, in, in mind. So, that would be the first go-to to not even get yourself exposed or to be uh, limit your exposure until you can actually get get out, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, in my 
um, unmedical suggestion, you know, they wanted us to wear a mask or something that we really didn't need to wear a mask for. Well, now mm-hmm. if you got solutions, now would be a time to wear a mask. I would wear yeah. a mask until I got from point A to point B, or at least I was in, in my car or, you know, something, you know, because we know you're breathing in your own your own waste when you have a mask on. But the lesser of the evils in a situation like this is this is the time that you wear a mask, not when we have what we had, you know, over the past two, three years. So well, will that stop the, the chemicals? Get out. You know, let's, let's talk about, well, I'm just thinking, let's think about the size of a chemical molecule, a molecule of vinyl chloride. How does that compare to the size of a virus? Because we know the viruses pass through the mask because they're much smaller than the spaces in, in, in your classic blue paper useless mask. But how about vinyl chloride? Right. Is that going to be stopped or do, they, do, the, do the molecules clump large enough to be stopped by the typical mask that people were wearing thinking it was going to protect against COVID? How much do right. we know about the mask? Well, uh, it's creating, a, uh, you know, the burning of vinyl chloride, it creates hydrogen chloride. So the hydrogen attaches to water, which is the humidity in the air, which oh, okay. creates hy- hydrochloric acid. And then the, right. as it's floating in the air, they, they are creating floating acid in the air. So, and that's something that you have not, you haven't even heard about. So they're not even going to the science to explain this to the people, and I have seen where people are testing their drinking water, and you know their their numbers on the chemicals in their water has gone from 30 to 900 just within wow. a couple of, a couple of hours. And they're saying, you know, don't drink the tap water, don't drink the sick water, don't even make ice with your water. So, educating people on the vinyl chloride that attaches to the molecules in the air that you breathe breathe in floating as acid, that's a really, really big, big thing. And that's why I went back to, you know, you asked, what can we do? There are things that we can do, but the two Mm -hmm. basic things is wear a mask and get out. That's, I mean, that's the bottom line. And then adding in the other things that for some reason you choose not to get out or you're not, you know, is trying to be proactive before your body becomes full of the toxic chemicals. You know, because mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you're looking for those signs, such as headache and head pressure and the burning eyes and lung irritation and coughing and um, overall just feeling malice and dizzy and vomiting. And, you know, if you think about kids and babies, they cannot mm-hmm. express all of these signs to you. They can't, you know, other than them, them crying or whatever, they, they can't tell you what they are feeling, what they are breathing in or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm thinking, you know, no, this is, this, is, this is all good information. I'm thinking that if it's hydrochloric acid, we've talked about that before in terms of acid rain, where before the, the coal uh, power plants and the, and the industrial coal was being burned to create steam, uh, we talked about how the, the, the nitrous oxide and the, uh, the sulfur uh, oxide are, forms, you know, SO2, sulfur dioxide, and NO2, nitrogen dioxide, combines with water, H2O, to form H2SO4 and H2NO4. Those are nitric acid and sulfuric acid. So what I didn't, what I'd forgotten that you reminded me, which is really good, is that it sounds like the exact same thing is happening here. So the so the next question mm-hmm. is, uh, water forms droplets, and what the masks are good for, and this is why they wear the N95 masks in surgery, is not for the aerosols, which are too small. The viruses go right through the masks. That's not why they wear them. They wear them to stop droplets. So are the droplets mm-hmm. big enough that the masks are going to absorb them? You know, because it's water. And is that going to allow them not to be breathed in? 
Well, I may not know the exact you know, answer, but, you know, let's, let's give it a exactly. shot. Exactly. Yeah. Well, again, I don't, I don't have a specific answer, but, but I'm just going back on the, um, the parallel of when we think our government has told us what to do in the past of wearing masks, which wasn't going to help at all and was unnecessary. Whereas mm-hmm. now, even if it stops a third of it or whatever, now for certain areas would be the most common sense thing to do would to be to wear a mask, regardless if it helps a little bit, regardless if it helps a lot. You know, again, so I'm just, and I know I'm repeating myself because this is a really big point. It's the parallel of when you're being advised to do something and when you're not. You should be being advised to do that now versus over the past three or four years, which was a bunch of baloney. That is such a good point because when you think about it, the reason that they, the, the, the government, the, the, the health Nazis, you know, Dr. Fascist and crew came up with masks was to basically put fear in people and I think preserve COVID before their snake oil jab, you know, came out. So it was political. It right. was politically expedient to put people in a sense of fear and it actually preserved COVID because fear lowers your immune response. Uh, keep people isolated in their homes because that's the greatest transmission point for COVID is people of like genetic uh, backgrounds, you know, so that the, most right. diseases spread in the home. That's why we all get sick from our kids. Um, and then, and then yeah. isolate people from their friends, isolate people from their church, isolate people from their job. I mean, everything was done to preserve the COVID virus until the jab came right. out. And then of course you had it. And that, and the jab preserves COVID through uh, uh, the creation of mutations. So that, but that was political. So now let's look at the opposite. They're not telling people to wear masks at the very time you're saying this would do the most good. And even if it's only one third good, half good, three quarters, it doesn't matter. It's going to help. So, but politically, they don't want to do that because what they're saying is there's no danger. So here's our government acting politically in both cases with an exact opposite result. One, where they tell people to wear masks when they do absolutely nothing. And in the second case, they're not telling people to wear masks when they do, that actually do the most good. That is fascinating. Correct. Okay. So it's, it goes back to that cliche statement of we should all be um, so we're, we, we should all have our eyes wide open right now and realize that whatever the government is advising us to do, we need to do the opposite. Yes. Isn't that amazing? That's usually the best policy, like the food pyramid. <laughs> I saw a friend, a friend of mine had a post on the food pyramid. It's completely wrong. <laughs> it's, right. it's exactly the, but exactly. it was done by the, by, by, we'll talk about that too. But I just find this fascinating. So, so, and I, so, I didn't think of this. This is, this is great. It never would have occurred to me probably the, the, the first thing, because I'm thinking evacuate that I did agree with. We, we came up, we talked about that earlier on the show, but the mask idea, right. you know, people used to have gas exactly. masks. And then like I said, you've got to look for the signs yeah. and the warnings. Okay. So where are the preppers? How come the preppers haven't come out? Uh, this would be a great time to, for, to say, you know, have your, have your home gas mask if you live near a chemical train, a chemical plant, an oil refinery, or someplace or a military base or someplace with potentially hazardous things in the right. air because the air flows where the air flows. You can't stop right. it. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And, you know, just with what you're saying about the, the fucking thing, you know, you should be prepared in your home. We talk, you and I talked briefly, you know, off radio about a bug out bag. Well, not necessarily a bug out bag, but in mm-hmm. your home, I call it in your home toolbox, right? Whether mm-hmm. you call it a medicine cabinet, whether you call it whatever, you mm-hmm. know, you should have um, things easily accessible and you should know what those things are in case 
you would happen to need it for such a time as this. And, you know, I'm just going to be frank with your listeners. I don't care whether you're stopping off on pharmaceutical drugs, drugs, which I would never do, but if you want to have aspirin and you don't want to use something natural, you know, do whatever you want to do. But mm-hmm. you, you should be prepared instead of saying, oh, crap, I don't have what I need, and then to be prepared for some of the things that we're seeing, you know, Michigan, Ohio, South Carolina, and this could happen anywhere. All mm-hmm. these different things and events that we have seen happen, you know, over the past week that are coming in handfuls, you know, you should know what do you need when things like this happen. Most people don't know that they should have NAC and glutathione and they should have liposomal vitamin C and they should have any of their prescriptions if they are have, you know, a chronic illness and they need prescriptions. You should have stuff, that, you know, that can support your, your liver. You should have a mask. You should have, you know, certain, certain things. You know, extra air filters, to, if you're choosing not to evacuate, um, extra air filters to change the filters in your home from your AC unit. You know, you should have air purifiers in your home, which even if you have pests and animals, you should have air purifiers in your home anyway. So mm-hmm. it's all these things that you should have on hand, um, not necessarily using, you know, a lot of these things you should be using on a daily basis from, um, from my world, from a naturopath standpoint. But um, mm-hmm. these are things that if you live near certain places or even if you live in an area where nothing has happened yet, you want to be prepared and have things in your toolbox that you can pull out rather than trying to figure everything out, you know, at the last minute. So those items that I just ran through, you should have in your cabinet. You should, you, you should have. You should be able to figure out a way that you can de-stop, detox and have, you know, milk thistle around and dandelion root tea and all those things that can help assist your body when it's really being attacked by these 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 chemicals and these toxins that are being thrown into the air because even you know even on a regular basis when we don't have these these life events right these situational events we're already exposed to all these toxins and stuff anyway and now it's mm-hmm. just it's, it's um what's the word ex- exasperated when we have an event and if you are not prepared you're going to probably suffer some of the consequences. So it's like better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. You know, it's interesting that the, um, the, the preparations for earthquakes and, and hurricanes aren't that different. Uh, the biggest difference is you get a warning with a hurricane, and it has a season to it. Earthquakes don't have a season, contrary to the jokes we used to tell tourists. But, uh, you know, you got to have food, you got to have water. You know, basic medical stuff. The difference in an earthquake is that you're probably not going anywhere. So you don't have to have a bug out bag because if it's a major earthquake, you're not going anywhere. There's nowhere to go. You know, the roads are down. The power's down. The electric's down. You know, the train stopped. The streetcar's stopped. The cars can't go anywhere. The bridges are out. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> so get a lot of food at home. And right. then we used to have all kinds of, of cans. Of them. And like every year, what I do is I, I kind of like recycle. I go through one year's cans, you know, and, and start buying new cans. And so, uh, so the, it was always like recycling my supply because people can leave their, their canned food, you know, for an emergency, you know, 10 years later, it's, it's not going to work for you. <laughs> so you gotta, you gotta recycle your, your emergency supplies, but in a hurricane, it's different. You get a couple of days warning and you do have to leave. So you do need a bag. You do need something you can take with you. Yeah. But here's what I found out. I found out something fascinating about hurricanes because I went to the, uh, emergency, uh, management meeting here in Santa Rosa County. You don't have to go that far. 30 miles might be enough. Because what you really need to escape is the storm surge. So you have to be able to get away from the rising water. The wind, yeah, the wind's going to blow. 
you know, but uh, you can usually get around that or away from that, get far enough away that, uh, but apparently 30 miles, you know, maybe, maybe 50 if you're really, you know, feeling bad or it's a really strong hurricane, but you don't have to go that far. So given that, you know, I'll, I'll find some, uh, some parking lot next to a hotel, sleep in my car. With the, as long as they have a Waffle House, I'm fine because they never close. So, I mean, I, I've got my plan. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, yeah. Well, here's a question for you. This is a little bit different. Um, but in terms of, of aerosols and things in the air, cleansers. cleansers. Like, I don't have anything with bleach in it. I can't stand the smell of bleach. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's not good for me. Uh, especially when people, if they're really stupid, they mix bleach and ammonia. Well, I think that was like mustard gas. It's a deadly chemical. So people can actually produce deadly chemicals in their home by mixing ammonia and bleach. Don't do that, folks. That's a bad one. But how, how, how dangerous are these are just regular household products, especially when they're combined in bad ways? Have you, looking, mm-hmm. have you talked about that or looked into that at all? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, um, you know, I, I have several connections with several different places to use non-toxic things in my home. I mean, I don't have any commercial cleaners, commercial anything in my home. I use everything that's 200%, you know, natural. And if somebody doesn't want to, you know, purchase products like that, you know, go back, go back to your great, great grandparents, you know, white vinegar, white white vinegar is good for, you know, for a ton of stuff, you know? Um, And so I, you know, I'm totally, uh, yes, I have explored that and I do have, you know, connections with different companies. There's probably only two out there that I trust that really make um, 100% American-made non-toxic products, you know, that if your dog or your baby gets a hold of them, they can can swallow them and they're not going to get hurt. Oh, that's interesting. We'll get the names in a second. I want to get a sponsor our show here. But Bianchi had a comment, so let's uh, let's get back to white vinegar. That's that's pretty powerful stuff. Go ahead, Bianchi. Yeah, on the issue with the vinyl chloride, uh-huh. At the specs, it boils at um, it boils at about eight degrees Fahrenheit. <clears throat> so, in other words, you got to keep it super cold in order to get it oh. into a stable, stable. That's uh, interesting. Substance. So it would have yeah, burned. So you wouldn't have been anyway? able to transfer it unless you had. Yeah, you wouldn't have been able to transfer it unless you had special equipment. Well, the best thing uh-huh. to do is let it dissipate in the air. And you know, you were talking about those household chemicals, a household right. cleaning. You, I'm, uh, you can get spontaneous combustion from the fumes that's coming off of two different household chemicals. Will combine. Next thing you know, you got a fire in the bathroom down at the bottom of your your cabinet. I've known people that set their bathroom on fire like that. Well, the two I know that you shouldn't do are ammonia and bleach because I believe it's a it's like a like mustard gas. It was a chemical agent used in in World War One. But what else, uh, what, are, what are the chemicals you're talking about? What are the ones that, that you do not mix? Pure volatile. Okay. You may mention bleach, you know, ammonia, and the fumes that come off of it. Well, that's what I'm talking uh, about. Drano. Yeah, that's mustard gas. Which ones? Drano. Oh, why? So, uh, that's why, basically. That's, yeah. Yeah. You know what country that produced most scientists that make chemicals like that is Germany. Yeah. Very small people. Well, uh, it was interesting. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Minor the connection. Minor chloride was created Merck. back in the 1800s, by the way. What was Minor that? Minor chloride was created back in the 1800s, by the way. Oh, well, that's interesting. 
Well, let's talk about what it, what it mm-hmm. does to the human body, what, what gas does. And, and sometime, uh, CJ, we've got to delve into Merck and some of the early uh, German pharmaceutical corporations that seem to be models for you know, our current ones, which is kind of interesting. Merck has a, has a very bad past, in, in, especially in Nazi Germany, but we can talk about that. But how about the gas? What kind of effect does gas, poison gas have on the body, um, long-term, short-term? What do you know about that? Yeah. Well, it's almost like, you know, if you have a gas leak in your house, you know, if, if one of your alarms a goes out in your leak? house and you have to, yeah, like and you have to call the gas okay. company, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to, uh, it's going to affect, affect your brain. It's going to affect your lungs and your breathing. But, you know, again, if it's for 15 minutes, you know, 15 minutes versus hours or days is a whole, whole nother story, but you, you want to, mm. you don't want to be exposed, period. I mean, that's why, right? Being proactive. So that's why we have these, you know, things in our homes or we should that would detect a gas leak and it would go off so you could get the appropriate attention. And what do we do, right, when you have a gas leak in your home? You evacuate. You step outside. You call the fire department. Or, you know, we're going back to the incidents that have just happened. What do you do? You should evacuate until you know the details or it's under control or, you know, whatever. Um, So it is going to damage. It's going to affect, affect the brain, the thinking, the lungs. I mean, everything and over time if you're exposed to it you know on a daily over a significant period of time it's going to affect your cells which is going to cause health problems long long term you know i i I mean that's just that's just the way it is i'm not a scientist or a chemist but it's definitely going to affect you and so these people that have been exposed to this if they are not taking some sort of action just because the government told them not to there are going to be long-term effects and we don't know how long this stuff is going to stay in the air, how long it's going to stay in the water. Um, there's, there's unknown variables with the incidences that have just happened. And people who are not prepared, you know, maybe having some of those items in their toolbox that I mentioned um, to help them in the process of getting out or making whatever decision they're going to make, you know, if they don't have these things to help combat the effects it's going to be detrimental to their long-term health. That's bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the catch-22s of this. Um, Pianca and I talked about this a little earlier is that these people, the minute a disaster like this happens, of course you want to get away, but their property value goes to zero. So whatever they've invested in their home is now gone. And so they're almost trapped financially because they can't move. And if the government's not going to, you know, pay for the home for the, for the fire that they caused, you know, setting all this stuff on, on fire, then these people are really stuck. So unfortunately people are always weighing the, the financial, you know, I can't leave my home. Uh, you know, it's not worth anything. There's love canal was the famous story up in Buffalo, New York, where this, this canal had all kinds of hazardous waste. And this is like a, this is going to become a superfront site with cancer clusters and all these, this is, this is yeah. going to be a multi-year, this is probably a 50 year event. You know, by the time they've, they've gotten the cancer out of this area, that's how bad these things are. And I don't think people have any concept because they have such short-term memories. And the news is going to be gone from this in a week. But the effects of this, right. you know, when the cancer starts showing up, when the, uh, and the fact that these people need all their homes bought out. And you know, this is where, where government is supposed to do the right thing after they've screwed up and burned the gas. They need to buy all these homes within a certain radius and move all these people out. Kind of like witness protection. So it would be right. like family protection. And they need to go somewhere where they can start a normal life again away from this stuff. Because the longer they stay, the worse it's going to get, right? Right, right. Hmm. Well, that's okay. why, again, I think it's, it, it, 
I cannot stress this enough. It is so important. Um, for the for season is not even the right word, but for where this world is right now, I mean, mm-hmm. think about what's happened. Right, I keep saying this the past three or four years. Teach, take that hopefully as a teaching moment, and now look at what's happened in the in the last week. You can't tell me some of these things were not done on purpose, right? And so, right, time doesn't stop, right? We're moving forward into this world, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So why would somebody, based on what we have learned and seen and are seeing, why would individuals choose not to educate themselves and choose not to be proactive and choose not to have the things in their home that they may need? Again, hopefully they will not, but based on what we're seeing, odds are getting higher, you're going to need certain things in your home, you know, just like you get prepared, right, for a lightning strike or a storm. You have your candles, you have your batteries, you got your water. You, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, you know, for, for basic things. You know, unfortunately, we need to take it upon ourselves to know what preparation looks like from a health perspective moving forward because we know what the government is telling us with the health professionals, wanting to say health, what the, what the, what the corrupt um, I guess I can say where the health hospitals, doctors, whatever, are telling you. Can us, say anything you want. Is it necessary? <laughs> you can say anything you want, my show, CJ. You know, there's only a couple of restrictions. necessarily what we need yeah. to be doing, right? Yeah. We need to take mm-hmm. our health into our own hands. And even mm-hmm. for the everyday person who doesn't, who isn't knowledgeable, seek out the resources, whether it's myself, whether it's a naturopath doctor, whether it's an herbalist, you know. Look at the alternatives for somebody who really does have your best interest at heart to say, okay, these are the things that I suggest that you have in your toolbox if you need them, and this is what this this is for. Because if we don't do that, we're going to be caught off guard, and there's going to be consequences to being caught off guard. Yeah. So what do you do? How do you prepare? All right, go ahead. You ask your question first, Pianki, and then I got a a prep question. Go ahead, Pianki. Give her a round of applause. She is absolutely right. (laughs) I have the best people on my show. You know how it goes. You know, CJ is, she is wonderful. So you got to stick around now. You're part of the family, CJ. <laughs> we need you here. Um, but, but, you know, I just think ahead. it's, I don't know. Like I have uh, for my for my kids, for um, well, for my son and his wife and stuff like for Christmas. I actually mm-hmm. went out and my son doesn't, my son doesn't fish, but I bought a really cool tackle box, right? And on, mm-hmm. over Christmas, this was two years ago. I put in, in all the herbal stuff, all the natural stuff, all the HCQ, all the ivermectin, all like natural Tylenol because I don't use Tylenol and I have like I use all the natural things, right? All the tea bags, and I that was their gift. Like I put a whole bunch of stuff in tackle boxes so that mm-hmm. they were prepared. You know, I, I I bought the things that they would need in case of a of a nuclear, you know, in, incident. You know, I bought them chlorine dioxide. I I made a whole little kit do? for them. And so, huh? Chlorine dioxide, what's that do? Uh, chlorine dioxide does amazing things. Amazing. Okay. It's a big way to detox the body. I mean, that's a whole other conference talk, but it's, it's amazing. Jim, Jim Kimball, I mean, it's, it's, chlorine dioxide is amazing. Um, but I put to, my point is I put together all the things in this tackle box for them, and this is their emergency kit. And so everybody should have an emergency kit. And if they don't know the things to have in there as far as NAC, local, uh, liposomal vitamin C, and these are things people should be taking on a daily basis anyway, 
they're going to be caught off guard. You need to have more than just Band-Aids and a Tylenol and an ACE bandage. You know, that's not not preparation. Hmm. Yeah, I got to do some, I got to learn more about the detox stuff. It's, um, you know, because I spend so much time on the show, I, I, I neglect my own personal stuff. And I think a lot of people do that too. We get busy. We get busy doing so much stuff. For you, it's a profession. So it's, it's you're on top of this all the time. This is why, you know, you're on. But uh, this is some of the detox stuff I have to look more into. So in terms of gas, you know, how do you get a, a, a gas out of your system? Is it just time? Are there certain things we can do? In other words, like the vinyl chlorides. Chloride seems like an interesting atom. Chlorine in pools, you know, keeps polio away, you know, purifies the fecal bacteria. You know, vinyl chloride, though, is a deadly carcinogen, but it's still that same chlorine atom. You know, it's just, it's combined with something else. um, It's fascinating how this works, though. Yeah, go ahead. Well, like the things that I just specifically mentioned is how you do it. But like I said, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a scientist. So when I've been working with with people, you know, Mm -hmm. the biggest thing is, you know, your body is the most powerful detoxification machine. I mean, it is. So, you know, you should be having access to sweating it out. The supplements are huge. Folic acid, because it acts like a binder for mm-hmm. folic acid, acts like a binder for toxins. So it will bind them together so that your body gets rid of them. The liposomal vitamin C, the liposomal glutathione and NAC and milk crystal and dandelion tea, which clears out the liver, and filtering your water. But if you filter out your water, like I use the zero water. But you can use Berkley, Berkey, you can use, you know, multiple ones. But then if you're taking stuff out, you've got to make sure you're putting the right minerals in it because our, replacing this because our body does need, you know, minerals. So if you don't have these natural things that will help to get rid of gases and toxins, you're not going to get rid of them. I mean, you asked me the question of what are the things to do. Well, I just mm-hmm. ran down about seven different things that people yep. can do get, you know, gases, gases out, but you have to know it and you have to have it before the incident, you know, takes, takes place. And you have to have the resources to make sure you're just not buying some crap over the counter that you're pissing your money away with that's not actually liposomal and your body's not actually using and it's not benefiting you. So you mentioned this word a few times, liposomal. Is, is that liposomal. have some to do with fat? Spell it out. Spell that word. No, liposomal means the absorption, right? It's more that that your body actually absorbs it. You know, just like, um, I'm sure you've heard of this, and I I do do this, but I do it maybe five times a year. You know, people go to where they can get liposomal IV therapies, IV therapies for vitamins. You know, you can Mm -hmm. get NAC, you can get C, you know, all all the things. So a lot of people don't have that type of money to do that, nor do they want to do it. So you can find ways to take liposomal products orally, um, a high quality at home on a daily basis. Like my daughter and I, we take liposomal C every single day. There are certain mm. staples over the past five years that we right. have up and we just, you know, it's a part of our morning routine. But there are things that we do not take because we haven't had, you know, a gas event and things like that. But, but I have on hand in case something happens here in the area where I live, I have the things in my toolbox that we would need. So people should really take stock of where they live, too. Like, I purposely don't live near chemical plants. I mean, I'm, I'm not too far from a railroad right. track, um, but I can get away. <laughs> you know, we've got evacuations and things like that. Um, and so, I, you know, we can hear the trains when they come by. If there was 
problem. We'd know real fast here. But as far as it goes, um, you know, people can take stock of where they live. It's like in Florida. You know, I'm about 30 feet above sea level here. And there's a reason for that. <laughs> so the last storm surge in, in Hurricane Sally was about 14 feet. So I've still got you right. know, 16, 16 feet of, of clearance before I have to bug out of here. Uh, and so mm-hmm. that would be a pretty bad hurricane. To, to, and that wasn't a bad one uh, compared to some of the big ones around here. But when it starts creeping up, it's like, okay. So I've, I've already got in my head when I have to leave. You know, and so I, need, right. you know, I know what I right. need basically for here. Hurricanes are pretty simple. You know, enough to live for a couple of days, two or three days, four days, whatever. Uh, and then uh, right. and you can head on back in and see, what, see what's left. But uh, if you look at where right. you live, I mean, different places are going to need different things. If you're near a volcano, you're probably going to you know, need ash stuff. You know, if you're near a fire area, you're going to have to be able to shelter your home and have cleared the, the brush away from your home and, away, and away from your, ac- your access or your exit road. So that kind of stuff would mm-hmm. play into it. So there's all kinds of stuff that go into this. Hmm. Right. Okay. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And like I right. said, going back to, you know, on a daily basis, there are gases mm-hmm. in our home. That's why I said, you know, if you don't have a routine schedule that like you have an air doctor coming to your house to do things for your, your vents and your things like that, you know, you mm-hmm. should, but even going, breaking it down to the basics is making sure your filters are changed every three months or, or so, especially if you have animals. You know, so, I mean, that's dumbing it down right to the basics. There's no comparison to, in my opinion, you know, you know, animal hair versus, you know, the gases that we're exposing to. But my point being is that mm-hmm. you need to make sure that you're being proactive and taking care of these things on a routine basis so you, you don't encounter an incident. Or so when you do encounter an incident that's out of your control, you are prepared, you know. And I don't mean to change the subject here real quick, but I'm no, I just saw something come up on my phone. I was going to I don't do know anyway. if you're aware of this. <laughs> I think we've covered 19 that. Nineteen minutes yeah. ago. Uh-huh. Nineteen minutes ago, a massive five acre fire just broke out of a warehouse storing plastic uh uh storing plastic plant pots in Kissimmee, Florida. Hazmat teams are monitoring the air quality due to large amounts of smoke coming from the burning plastic. Residents with breathing issues should remain indoors. I mean, this is this is live video right now going on in Kissimmee, Florida. Hmm. And your recommendation is so get the hell out of there. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, more more crap in the air. Forty five hundred gallons per minute they're using to try to put out this one. So, so it's a chemical fire, so yeah. water doesn't always work. And I know a little bit about fire stuff. I took a, a fire course because I was a flight instructor at the airport, and I was one of their, their fire you know, volunteer people just in case. So I learned about the different kinds of fire extinguishers, different kinds of materials. I'm sure Pianchi knows about this too, that there are, there are extinguishers for wood fires, extinguishers for gas fires, extinguishers for grease fires, and extinguishers for electrical fires. And chemical fires are a whole different thing. So is water even effective on this fire? Good question. Good question. Yeah, or is it making toxic steam? <laughs> I don't know. Right. Would they be better foaming? Right? It, you know, like they foam runways. You know, would a foam retardant be better uh, than than creating toxic steam by spraying water on it? Again, right. don't they have plans for this ahead of time? Or are they just improvise on the spot? I, I don't. I don't have the answer. I don't either. That's why I'm asking the question. It depends yeah, on the. Uh, it depends on the chemical, like okay. vinyl chloride, it's flash point. The point when it turns to a vapor is 174 degrees below zero. 
So water chemical... would be frozen. Yeah. So that wouldn't work. Well, that's a good point. So here's the question then. Is this something that you can spray on vinyl chloride that would make it combine into something inert? I don't know. I don't either. But what I'm saying is that should be part of it. Because all, all these chemicals have these hazmat sheets. They have the hazardous materials handling safety sheets. One of the things that the fire departments, yeah. I think, would have would be what can we spray on this chemical in this tank that would render it inert? And by the way, the tanks are double line. But, you know, like your guest said, one of the things that should be done, and we always want to blame the wrong one, the citizenry should be educated. If you live by a railroad track in the vicinity, then they should Mm -hmm. have an educational process to inform people what you do in case of this, that, or the other. Right. And and then... That would limit the casualty. She's absolutely right. You got people mm-hmm. today, that's a, and we talk about this all the time. Society today <laughs> is just dumb. <laughs> that's another problem. That's that's a whole different issue. But yeah, it is. It's uh, yeah, people are stupid and purposely ignorant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's, that's why that's, it's, you yeah. know. It's, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I'm just thinking that it's a, that's part of the mission of our show here because we never underestimate our audience. We always raise the level up to, if it's technical, we talk about it. You know, we don't uh, treat everybody like 12-year-olds like they say in broadcast school. You know, so there's a reason we don't do that. And I think people have been dumbed down because, you know, the media over time has, has lowered the expectations and the educational standards as have the schools. So we're, we're creating an idiocracy, unfortunately. So... Right. Yeah. Okay. Let's 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 move on to something else here. We've got about twenty three minutes of fun and excitement left. Uh, did you want to talk sugar at mm-hmm. all? Do you have another thing happening, or what's because uh, that's going to be uh, a we long can. I mean, I mean, that's up to you. Unless you have something in tune that you want to talk about, nope. I can just kind of highlight nope. on there whatever whatever you would like to do. Well, I think it's so important um, because sugar's in everything. And they were increasing it. And there's more and more of it. And it's addictive and it goes to your brain and it's like cocaine. I'm hearing all these things about sugar. It causes yeah. inflammation. Nothing really good comes from, from processed, especially sugar. So then we can talk about the natural sugars. And it just, well, just tell me, it's sort of like, I, I forgot exactly where we yeah. were before, but well, let's just start the, in the, with what you've point. seen. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Any um, observations, people? Where do we start with this whole thing? Um, well, uh, let, let's start with this. We were talking about refined sugars, okay. right? The whole refined sugars and what's, and what's going on and actually what it does um, to the pancreas. So hmm. when, it, when it goes into the pancreas, it produces and releases insulin. And that is where, that is where you get a lot of problems. You know, okay. is with insulin insulin levels. Hmm. So this is diabetes related. This is uh, is it pancreatic yes. cancer related? I um, mean, is there are, are, yep. are it, there chemicals that causes the tissues? Yeah, hormones empty the sugar into your bloodstream, and it causes right. the the tissues and the cells to kind of go kind of go crazy. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So yeah. so you ingest sugar. What happens then? How does, getting, how does food get even get in your bloodstream? I mean, there's like the hydrochloric acid, there's the digestive stuff, and then I guess it gets absorbed somehow. 
you know, through the yeah. through through our intestines and colon stuff like that, or anyway, intestines anyway. So the get, stuff gets in your bloodstream. Where does it go? Where does sugar go? What does it what what does it do? What's its pathway? How does it uh, do all the nasty stuff it does? You know, it depends on where. Because we said some sugars are good, right? Okay. It's the mm-hmm. refined ones that are bad. When you're talking about like from from white bread versus getting it from from an apple. So excess okay. sugar it's stored stored as fat in your body, which you know, which then causes problems, right? When fat when fat is high, that's where you get your increase of disease and cancer and things like that. So there's a big difference. Um, there's a big difference in that because the refined sugar and white blood cell count are are related. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting that fat doesn't make yeah. you fat, but sugar does. <laughs> I think that's that's like counterintuitive for most people. They don't see that. Pianki? Right. You know what they use to uh, turn cane sugar white? They use sulfur. So let's talk like about the sulfur that uh-huh. comes out of um, volcanoes. Oh, really? Matter of fact, there's a country where you have people that go up into the volcanoes and they collect and sell the sulfur is pure yellow. So I guess that's uh, some of the remnants of that chemical. A sulfur, a sulfur is really bad to inhale. I guess some of that is can still contained in the sugar molecule that cause some sort of harm to your body when you digest it. Well, is this where sulfates and sulfites come from? Is it from sulfur? Did well, yeah, it has me? part of the name. Yeah, well, when I throw a question, it's usually both of you. But yeah, CJ, sulfates, sulfites, sulfites are in wine, sulfates are in different things. Are they sulfur compounds? And are they being added uh, to make the sugar whiter? Yeah, Uh, you know, the good question, you go back to, you know, wine. You know, when when I drink wine, um, Mm -hmm. I use something that actually removes the sulfate. Oh, okay. You know, and, and it. So, um, you know, sulfates are not are not good. Sulfates cause headaches. Sulfates cause all kinds of different things. So if you get a wine headache, it's not you the know? wine; it's the sulfites. Exactly. Maybe. Exactly. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we'll have to yeah. get non-sulfite so wine. We need we need a list of organic products. <laughs> you know, that's what I started with with Chancy. Yeah. You know, so I'm gonna make a list and go to my my local organic uh, grocery store and pick up some. I'm, I'm switching over everything gradually, <laughs> getting rid of all the stuff. You know, we get rid of the wheat, get rid of the cereal, get rid of the sugar, get rid of the starch, got rid of the potatoes. You know, the the white rice. Of course, I wasn't a big fan anyway. But how do they make white sugar? And as opposed to well, sugar comes from cane or it comes from beets. Uh, or I don't know what else you get sugar from. Sugar. But uh, so, what do they do to it? I mean, the natural sugar—if you eat well, sugar, like you cane, said, sugar it's not that bad in, for you. Sugar is, every, sugar is right? in everything. It's just right. you know, we said it's just a matter of what the source is. You know what I mean? Okay. What the source so if, is. If you have refined, is there any nutritional value to you know that that white powder cane sugar that you get? Is there anything nutritionally good about it? Not that I've ever been aware of. Nope. Okay, so that's a useless calorie. However, fructose, lactose, so so sugar in milk, sugar in fruit, um, anything good with that? I mean, it's not it's not as harmful. It's a different form of sugar, right? So yeah, yeah. Again, all in moderation. It depends. You know, if you have sugar challenges, obviously you have to be 
more right. diligent than somebody who does not have any sugar challenges. So huh. that's why I always tell people it's better to get your sugars from, from foods because even broccoli has a certain amount of sugar in it. So what we're really focused on is the refined sugars from candies and breads and the wrong kinds of pastas. Now, again, everything in moderation, I mentioned to you guys before when we talked about this. Every once in a while, do I have my gummy bears? Yeah, but I don't have it. I don't have, a, you know, it's not something I have every day. It's like when you're doing yeah. that 80-20 of eating healthy and knowing what to fuel your body worth. I don't even like the word healthy because healthy is relative. Somebody can say this is healthy versus this. It's more or less um, if you eat the good things that fuel your body 80% of the time and 20% of the time, you want to run through Taco Bell or you want to have two pieces of pizza and three beers. You know, it, that's okay. You have to live life. You don't want to not enjoy life. But it's, it's what are you doing the majority of the service your body well versus yep. the things that are not going to service your body well. But this is a simple one. You know, people might not know the latest detox chemical. They might not have the latest, you know, up on a bunch of things. But everybody can cut back on the sugar. You know, and I think the bread and the pasta is probably, uh, and potatoes are probably the three biggest, the starches. The starches and the carbs are probably, the carbs are, are sugar. You know, C6H1206, your basic glucose is sugar. But, you know, starches are complex forms of that. You know, so people, they don't right. think about yeah. bread as sugar and they don't think about rice as sugar or, or spaghetti as sugar. But ultimately, they are. Right. Pianchi, you had a point? And then, we'll, then, we'll, then we'll talk about those. Yeah, go ahead. Pianchi? You know, now, rec- now raw sugar, like sugar cane juice, I've drunk that before, mm-hmm. and it would give you an instant high where you feel like you can jump over a bus. <laughs> but it's the process of turning raw sugar white is what causes the problem, I would think, because you adding, using chemicals like sulfur dioxide, Mm-hmm. and phosphoric acid and so on and so on and so on. I think that's where the problem comes in. But, uh, you know, who am I to say? Well, here's the question, too. Like, I always like brown sugar over white sugar. And the darker the brown sugar, the better, because it's got more molasses in it. So what are they taking out of the sugar to make it look all white and powdery? And, you know, I mean, well, I, I'm a big honey fan and a molasses fan and maple syrup fan. Those are natural mm-hmm. sugars. Well, Canadian, they don't put more that molasses than... in brown sugar. Uh-huh. Get the sugar brown, they burn the white sugar is how that happens. <laughs> oh, really? They don't yeah. have molasses and stuff? Or not to, I thought they didn't take out the molasses. No. no. Oh. Well, you know, the numbers have just increased, you know, because I don't even know what the current number is, but um, uh-huh. Americans used to consume over 240 pounds of sugar per year. And right. when, when you have skyrocketing of, you know, type 2 diabetes, diabetes, obesity, cardiovascular disease, and cancers, it's you know, a lot of it, and I won't say all, a lot of it boils down to the unhealthy, healthy sugars. And the types of refined sugars, you know, are the candies, the pastries, the sodas, things like that. You know, so it's like when you eat candy, you know, or something that gets you going, then you have that, have that crash. It's almost like when people say they need caffeine, they need caffeine. That's mm-hmm. such an old myth. It's basically more of an emotional and mental mental thing. When you have a headache, you don't necessarily need caffeine to get rid of a headache. You know, mm-hmm. so when you're having all these sugar challenges, your blood insulin levels are just all over the board. You know, and that can be 
you know, a sugar substitute is honey, but for people who don't have sugar challenges, honey is a great resource, you know, if it's your local honey, you know, because it contains a lot of vitamins and minerals that are lacking in the refined table sugar. It's a much healthier thing, but there are also a lot of other healthier, healthier sugars, sugars to use. You know, molasses is great. Um, And honey can be taken for heartburn and stomach ulcers. And people don't even, a lot of people don't even know that. They just think, well, if they have to have a sore throat or a cold, honey is good. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not a one-size-fits-everything. It depends on what the state of your health is. But refined sugars are not good for, you know, anybody. You know, even like with your baked goods, people should mm-hmm. be using whole fruit juice concentrate. Honey, maple syrup, agave is amazing. Because agave mm. is made from cactus. Yeah, I've tried it. Yeah, that's how you make tequila. You know. <laughs> yeah, they do, actually. I know, well, I know. Well, let's think about that. Like every... yeah. Pardon me? Well, I was just going to say, uh, agave is where you make tequila. Rum comes from sugar cane, originally. So we've got a lot mm-hmm. of alcohols based on sugar. Or grains, mm-hmm. which are starches. Yeah, it's firm in it. Yeah. So how does how does that what's what's the connection there? I th- I think we've yeah, I, I'm fascinated by this. I think we we figure we'll do our sugar this week and we can we do a whole bunch of topics you know uh, in, in the coming weeks. But but you know alcohol. What's the sugar alcohol connection? Beer comes from grain. Grain is a starch. Starch is like bread and you know wheat and all that kind of exactly. stuff. Exactly. And oh. and a lot of beers are full of gluten. And you know I have seen that there's. I mean I'm not a beer drinker. I am a wine drinker. And so. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's, there are some beers out there that you can get that are gluten-free and your quote-unquote healthier form of, of beer, but beer is full of gluten. What's wrong with gluten? Um, it's not good for any, for any human body, you know, and some people say, I don't have a gluten sensitivity. Well, you might not, like a lot of the testing that I do will test for gluten sensitivity. Some people are gluten sensitive, some people mm-hmm. are not, and... Mm-hmm you're just not as affected as somebody with a gluten intolerance. But gluten in general does not service the body well over time for anybody. Yeah, like I said, uh, because all I've of talked our about bodies, how you know, God made all of our bodies the same, right? right? We're all designed to work the same way, but we don't all work the same way because from the day we were born, we started off with having whatever is unique to us, whatever our health challenges are or aren't external factors, you know, all the things that play into, you know, what may be good for my body isn't necessarily good for your body. Absolutely. Everybody's different. You know, in Africa, there's a plant called cassava. If you don't prefer it, I'm ready to kill you. Say it again? I've heard of it, but if I don't know If you what don't it prefer it, I'm ready to kill you. The poison. Really? Okay. There's a what? tree that grows along the Nile River called the acacia tree. I've heard of that one, too. And it's yeah. all like moringa that pretty much cure it's it's like a cure everything like it to cure everything but if you but they have tried to grow acacia trees in the western hemisphere and the leaves are toxic they kill you so like she said uh things that when people evolve in the environment they live in and the things that's readily available for them is what helps sustain their life but you take people out of one environment and put them in another one, then they start consuming uh, the readily available uh, things in that environment. It may be very harmful for them. 
Yes, like Asian folks that come here who are might have you know in past generations were were smaller and shorter come here on the American diet. You know they go from rice to steak and they they, they grow bigger and larger and have you know the same health problems. So you got so it's, it's not the, the the Asian that kept them healthy. It's the fact that their diet kept them healthy. It's kind of interesting. Um, can people? Here's a question for you. Can people adapt to sugar? Are we as a as a country or as a, a species or as human beings? Do we get to be able, or do our bodies adapt to be able to take more sugar, having been forced to take more sugar most of our lives, or is it, is it always going to be, you know, bad, especially the refined stuff, and we're just not designed for it? Well, I mean, when you say our bodies adapt, our bodies adapt to craving more. <laughs> that's about it, you know. Oh, really? That, that's yeah, they adapt to craving the more, the more you feed it. So, you know, it, in order to, if you want to break the your sugar challenge issue, you uh-huh. should be eating more uh, proteins in your diet. You know, but okay. specifically eggs, poultry, fish, beans, nuts, and seeds because they take a longer time to obje- uh, digest and absorb, but they, uh-huh. they slowly release sugar and nutrients into the bloodstream. So uh-huh. if you eat these items, it will decrease your cravings and head off a snack, your snack cravings for, for something with sugar. Because those things, when you want those things, those those desires are triggered by a dip in blood sugar. So if you're eating foods that are higher in protein that still have sugar in them, but they slowly release the sugar and nutrients into your bloodstream, you're not going to get that that high and low, nor are you going to get as much as that desire for those high sugar, refined types of sugars. That's interesting. It's like when I stopped eating, you know, shredded wheat and granola, which I thought was very healthy. You know, I, I never missed it. <laughs> I didn't. It wasn't an, uh, right. you know, either addictive or even. I wasn't even inclined to it. Just, I just stopped. And I thought, okay. So now, you know, eggs and other stuff for breakfast, but uh, usually fruit, vegetables. Most of the stuff I eat is raw anyway, uh, except for eggs and uh, fish. Uh, unless I have sushi, <laughs> you know. But, for, but I, I think I've converted a lot of things over. Uh, now we're doing working on salad dressings. So anything with uh, the, the we talked about seed oils last time. So anything with uh, I thought soybean oil bad, you know, other oil, canola oil not so bad. But apparently that's just as bad. <laughs> so now I got to get all the oils out of my. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a process. Working on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know. But, uh, you know, I, I go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say this. Even how you sleep at night has a lot of difference too. You know, some people, in the wintertime, I keep my house down around 60 degrees. Why? Because then your body will start, your cells in your body will start vibrating, producing heat to keep you warm. At the same time, bacteria and other things that you don't want in your system will get killed. Mm -hmm. But if you sleep in a hot house, well, that natural action don't happen. I remember back down south, when we had wooden stoves, people would eat and go to bed because the digestion of their food would produce heat under the cover and keep you warm. And the worst time of the day is when you had to get up in the morning in a cold house and make a fire. That's why I live in Florida. Yeah. We, we should do a sleep show. Let's, let's, this might be an interesting topic. I bet you there's all kinds of sleep deprivation, sleep stress, sleep uh, anxiety, sleep uh, immune suppression. There's like a, I bet you there's a ton of things related to this that you've dealt with. Would I be right, CJ? Absolutely. Let's put that down next week. Absolutely. And I love the talk, you know, about the, um, 
about the sulfates. Sulfates okay. are really, really big, a big issue, you know, and especially, you know, when we were discussing alcohol and alcohol sugars and getting into, you know, uh-huh. the, the, the spring and the summer and people being outside and boating or at the beach or cutting the yard and wanting to cut, you know, wanting to come in and have a, a cold glass of beer. I mean, these are things that can be done in a healthy, fun way. It's not about deprivation or not enjoying life. It's just mm-hmm. about educating, knowing knowing what a happy and good balance is and learning some different alternatives. So if you want to implement alternatives, you can. And if you don't want to, you know you don't. But that's a great topic, um, you know, moving forward uh, with the season that we're in to, to discuss, you know, as, as some topics if, if you'd like to do that. But I think specifically for the highlights, Mm-hmm. Uh, this talk show today would be, I cannot stress to your listeners enough to be prepared and go back and listen to some of the items that I mentioned to have in your toolbox. And these are the things that I strongly um, recommend to my clients, even when they don't come to me for, you know, this particular thing. They come to me for one issue or another. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of my questions I ask, what is in your toolbox? in case mm-hmm. you need it. And yep. I just let them know that that's something that they should consider having on hand. And if that's something that they need, that I can provide them with the resources, you know, to be able to put those things in their toolbox. So, you know, with what we just heard about I that I read 29 minutes ago happening in Kissimmee, Florida, don't think that something can't happen in your area, <laughs> you know. And if you are not prepared, you better get prepared. First rule of life, it can, you know, it can happen to somebody too, else, it can happen to you. <laughs> that, that is my first rule. If it can happen to someone else, it can happen to you. Learned that a long time ago. <laughs> Jackie, go ahead. You know what else too, TJ? The environment that you're in, for instance, if you live on the beach, your hinges on your refrigerator is going to corrode. The hinges on your door is going to corrode because of the salt that's in the air. And yeah. also that salt is getting into your body. So, mm-hmm. so uh, where you live at has a lot to do with uh, what your health outcomes is going to be. You can't take a person Absolutely. from way up north and bring them down and put them on the beach. They're going to have some health problems <laughs> from that salt mm-hmm. water. But people well, that live know, on the beach all the time, you grew up there, it don't bother. Right. Well, that's why, you know, the comment that I said earlier, what's good for you may not be good for me. You have to know, number one, your body. You have to know, number two, your environment. And then you also need, just like, just like every single topic we've talked about today, whether it was mm-hmm. the toxins or the sugars, your body will adapt. But because of life and life not being what it was like back when our great-great-grandparents were alive, right, we have to give our body the things that we need to give it to help it adapt. For 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 now, for the time this world is in now. So, you know, even with those environmental factors and what you were saying about your home and moving to the beach and this and that, your body will adapt. But it, it struggles. Most people's bodies struggle to adapt without assistance because we're exposed to so many exterior environmental factors, and that's really really important. And Something that's going through my mind, I know we're getting to the top top of the radio show, but 
Mm-hmm. And I can hear people saying this because people say this to me, and I can hear some of your viewers <laughs> saying this in their head or mumbling this, you know, well, we're, we're screwed. Like, what can we do? Like, I'm not going to do all this. I could spend a million dollars putting stuff in my toolbox. Like, uh, you know, this sounds like a lot of work to do all these things and blah, blah, blah. That's why you have to just, you have to live life. But you've got to dumb it down to the basics to be prepared and do the everyday things that you can. It's almost like, I mean, you're not going to take chlorine dioxide on an everyday basis. You're not going to take ivermectin on an everyday basis. You can take it three or four times a week. You can do certain things. But there are certain things you want to do every day to give your body the best fighting chance it can against toxins, against the environmental factors that we have been exposed to over the past three or four years. And it's a fluid, it's a fluid thing because what, what a wellness professional like myself, not a healthcare professional, a wellness professional or somebody that's being proactive may advise you today. We don't know what's going to happen a year or two down the road. That might, may not be my advice to you two years from now because we don't know what sort of things we're going to be exposed to. We didn't know we were going to be exposed to COVID. We didn't know we were going to have to do more vitamin C, more vitamin D, more, more zinc, talk more importantly about how important liposomal is, talk about being prepared for a nuclear attack. So all this is a very fluid situation. So we need to give our bodies what we need now for what we are in now to be as proactive as we can not to get sick, not to be affected by what is going on. And then we need to have those things in our toolbox. For if we need those things, we have them, and we're not scrambling at the last last minute. So I hope that that, you know, makes sense to a lot, a lot of people because I know it can be overwhelming. I can, know it can be like, Oh my gosh, I'm just going to go no, have a right beer and sit in my backyard. We're, you know? we're always overwhelming. It's not a problem. <laughs> we, 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 we sort of yeah. specialize in but, but you know what I'm saying? So it can, be, <laughs> it can be a lot, but if you dumb it down to the basics or if you have somebody there that can help you and have a conversation mm-hmm. with you and say, look, here's the simple. This is what you should do. Here's, here's the list. Here's where I recommend. This, you know, this is the basics. And then if something else happens that you – need something more detailed or more entailed, the situation comes up, then you address it at that time. Yeah. It might be an idea to actually do that each week. Just do the the five to seven or whatever things daily, just your daily recommendation. And just, you know, just at the end of the show, the beginning of the show, middle of the show, whenever. But we'll just we'll just say, okay, here's what we recommend daily. And just go over that and go, and then we can get into our topics. I mean, I have, I've got a bunch of questions. And i got future shows already in, in line. Uh, one is, the, we were talking salt earlier. You know, does salt interact with sugar in your body? I don't want to do it now. We'll get another time. But the other topic that fascinates me that actually has a chemical basis of the ion, uh, positive versus negative ions in terms of the beach, why people feel better around beaches and and water fountains in cities. You know, the moving water actually creates, I believe it's the negative ions that counter the positive ions that come from all the electronic machines. That's a huge topic that we can spend some time on because I'm really susceptible to positive ions. That's why I couldn't stand being around those old Xerox machines. That smelled like burning mm. rubber. <laughs> Couldn't stand them. Got an instant headache because I'm really susceptible to ion right. changes. You know, so I mean, we're all different. Okay. Um, but that's what I'm saying. Is that's why you've Go got ahead. to know your body. You've got to yeah. know your body. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 
it, it's really good to be tested. And most people don't even understand that. Most people go through their lives and they don't even know what any of this stuff is. But if you're exposed to communities like yours or like mm-hmm. podcasts or different things, you know, you know that, hey, maybe I, maybe my body's not functioning right because I'm lacking something or I have too much in my body. And maybe mm-hmm. it's worth, you know, X amount of money once a year to find out where my body is so I know yeah. how I can service my body well. Yeah, I'll be talking about that too. I think that sounds like a good idea. And my advice is small changes. <laughs> Make small changes. Big changes, you know, are exactly. short-term. Small changes last for a long time. Okay. Any contact yep. information? Anything you want to uh, tell folks where to go find stuff? Where about you or anything uh, like that? And then uh, we'll come back and uh, do it all again tomorrow. Well, you won't. I will. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Unless you feel so, um, if anybody wants to contact me just for a conversation or a consultation, or if you need resources um, for clean, clean supplementation, anything due to what any topics of conversation that we've had today. I've got those resources for you at a discounted price. They, everything is clean. Everything is nutraceutical. You can email me at H2O Wellness Network. That's H2O Wellness Network at gmail.com. And if I don't get back to you, please email me again. Sometimes my email blocks things and I will check my spam. I would ask in the subject line that you put Action Radio. That way I know uh, where you have gotten my information from. Sounds good to me. I should do that for anything anybody sends out. Put Action Radio on the subject line. <laughs> then we'll know. Uh, this is fascinating. And exactly. I, I love having you on the show. It's, it's going to be great just to explore all these topics. Uh, even if we repeat topics from other wellness people, it's always different. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, the same information needs to be reinforced. Uh, I've heard it take six times. People have to hear something six times before it sinks in. So the fact that we repeat ourselves, mm-hmm. we talk about sugar, we talk about some of these other things, it's not a problem. We'll just keep doing that. All right, CJ, exactly. thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. And we'll uh, get you back here on the show next week. All right. Sounds good. Have a blessed day, everybody. Bye-bye. Have a blessed day. Bye now. So I've got a couple things to play. Um, left my normal announcements and, of course, our, our classical music piece to end the show. A, a short little bit of classical to get you inspired to listen to more classical. I happen to love classical music myself. So this is uh, just upcoming things. Uh, we've got uh, Dr. Robert Malone's going to join us next week. We've got uh, a lawyer, Jeff Childers. He's going to join us next week. We've got Jeff on uh, Wednesday, uh, Dr. Robert Malone on Friday. And so we have some major guests coming up next week. It's going to be fun. Tomorrow, tomorrow we've got Gail Ready, and we're going to talk local uh, theater. We've got a community theater here in Santa Rosa County. And so Gail's going to come on the show and tell us all about that. I mean, I love a lot of things. <laughs> but I, I, I was in musicals and a couple of plays in high school, and mostly musicals because I'm more musically inclined. I played in the pit orchestra. I've, I've had uh, one lead, you know, a couple of chorus parts and things like that. Um, did a summer theater thing, too. We did a Mount of La Mancha production, which was just absolutely fabulous. Anyway, so uh, local theater. If you want to find an outlet and you haven't tried local theater, then give it a shot. We're going to do that tomorrow. So there's always something new on Action Radio, always something new and different. The biggest thing, of course, is to go to writeyourlaws.com, writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. Click on legislation, which is the second item on menu bar. Click down to all proposed laws, which is the third item down, and that's where you're going to find our vaccine product viability, our big tech censorship, uh, our bill to uh, constitutional amendment so Congress can't borrow money, the Federal Bureaucrat Disarmament Bill, uh, Australian Bill of Rights, some of the other things that we have there. And, of course, if you want to write your own law, then you go to legislation, and the very first section 
uh, I'll propose a new law. That's where you write a bill for us, and I'll take a look at those and, uh, and post the good ones. And the next one, citizen bill ideas, those, that's like our workshop. That's like our committee hearing where we work on the bills. All proposed laws is where they go to be uh, sent out. And then some of the other sections, national, state, local, I'm going to work on that and get that going too. All right. I'll see you all tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock. This should be starting. Why isn't it starting? Okay, this is going to be an interesting experiment. <laughs> it said it was playing, uh, but I didn't hear anything. So I don't know if it played or not. It doesn't, and it, it didn't light up like it's supposed to. So it may have played, and I didn't hear it, or something else happened. I have no clue. Let me try one more, and we'll see if we can get that to play. Uh, if I don't hear that, I might just uh, close this down. But uh, I still want to play our music selection. Anyway, I'll be back uh, tomorrow. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Panklos Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed.
Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.